How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of your favorite Swimbait podcast, Scales and Tails, episode 85. And uh, today we're joined by yet another guy over on the East Coast, the East Side of things. I feel like, I feel like, uh, like that whole Mass area, like the East Coast, we've really been hammering it over there. Like we've had a lot of guys in the past, like 20 episodes over on that side, and so we, we're just we're adding another one, man. Putting another putting another tally on that side of the country. So we are joined by Mr. Arthur Slater, who is a uh, is it it's fish underscore daddy four hundred one on Instagram, right? Uh, just straight fish daddy four zero one. Okay, okay, dude. Like the underscore stuff on Instagram is so stupid because like I'll type somebody's username in and it just won't pop up, and it's like because I added or I didn't add uh, an underscore, and I'm like, are you serious? Like. It pisses me off all the time. But, yeah, so that's his Instagram. If you guys don't follow him already, obviously go do that. And what – I guess what do what do you do on your Instagram account? Like you are uh, a bait or bait builder, so kind of explain that. Explain who you are, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into it. So I have a uh, small soft plastics business. I make everything from ice baits, little half-inch, three-quarter-inch ice grubs all the way up to – I've got a 12-inch mega grub that weighs four ounces, uh, big swim baits, eight-inch, eight about four-ounce swim baits to worms and everything in between. So I have a small soft plastics business. Um, I post a variety of stuff on Instagram and kind of go live here and there and do some live bait building with, with followers if people have questions or, hey, make this color, that kind of thing. So I try to interact with people quite a bit, but basically a small family-owned uh, soft plastics business. Hell yeah, man. And so how did you get started in this? Because a lot of guys, um, and I mean, this was when I was growing up. So, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, I know that was just a really broad spectrum of numbers there. But when I was younger, the big thing was like, oh, I got I got like a Senko injection mold. And you'd see all these pages all over Instagram selling baits and, and stuff like that. And, you know, they were all usually like the Senkos. And like every once in a while, you'd you'd find a fancy homemade bait company, and they had like craws and stuff like that. So, how did it start for you? Did it start with like those, you know, those uh, those molds that everybody kind of has, or where was the beginning for you on this? So my kind of venture into this has probably started a little bit different than most people. I had been buying soft plastics off some guys in Iowa for a bit, uh-huh. and I try to support small makers, local makers. I've got a whole uh, I've got some t-shirts I sell too, like support your local bait maker, which yeah. may not necessarily be like, I've got a buddy in California that makes baits. doesn't have to be local to you, but it means more support small business, like buy baits from those guys. Anyway, that's what I've tried to do for a long time. And I was buying baits from a few guys in Iowa and happened to be taking a trip from Rhode Island out towards Missouri, which is just South of Iowa. And my wife had reached out to those guys and said, Hey, my husband happens to be driving, you know, halfway across the country. Any chance you guys want to go fishing and hang out? And it happened to be right around my birthday. Yeah. So hooked up with those guys. It worked out, and they uh, taught me how to get into soft plastics. Um, just so happened, the the two guys that I, I learned from were Nick Rundle and Nate Marling. So I was buying oh. uh, the soft plastics. Uh, a lot of the molds that, or the molds that Marling has designed with Epic Bay molds is what my intro into soft plastic bait making was. Um, so I learned from those guys over in Iowa on a, on a road trip, which was pretty fantastic that they took the time and, uh, and 
put that in with me to help me learn how to do that stuff. Dang, dude. And so was this, I mean, Marlon, everybody who has been on YouTube, I mean, within the last four or five years knows, knows who he is. I mean, the infamous guy who cut, cut open that mother chaser and, and makes all the yeah. really cool, like one-off lures and stuff. Was this before all that? Like how, how long ago was this? Uh, 2020. So three years ago. Okay. Just yeah. Before... So that was, that was probably like right around the time he was starting to get pretty big. I mean, right around COVID, I feel like is when, when a lot of the fishing pages got big and that's like, when he was, you know, when he made, when he cut the chaser open, when he made the tick lure, when yeah. he did like the angelfish lure, like that's that's when I remember him being super big. Yeah, that was. So if you go back in his channel, I mean, you could almost pinpoint the time. I think I was in because I actually had taken two trips out there. Okay. Um, and the one point seven prey bait came out and. Jason from Epic Bait Molds happened to be in Iowa. I was there the next day. So whenever that mold came out, it was oh, totally right. before that. So that goes back to, like I said, to 2020. Um, and that's that's what got me into it. So since then, that's all I pour is Epic Bait Molds. That's all I shoot for plastics. Um, they make fantastic high-quality molds, and I'm happy happy to use them. Um, that's but that's, that's what got me into it. That's so cool that 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 was i mean how you got into it beforehand did you kind of did you know who marlin was as far as like i guess uh a well-known youtuber and stuff or on on the rise content creator i guess well yeah that's kind of how i came across nick and nate um i had been following a few fishing youtube channels uh debo's fishing marlin baits nd yak angler guys like that and uh, i kind of got to talking to the way I kind of found them was, I think, just through, like, the hashtag Marlin Bates on Instagram. And I happened to see somebody who was posting some plastics for sale. And I'm like, these guys posting stuff for sale? They're like, oh, DM to buy some stuff. And I just through conversation and buying baits. And then I was close enough proximity. They're like, yeah, come on by to the, the bait shop and we'll show you how to make plastics and all that stuff. And then from there on, that was it. I went, I went whole hog into it, I guess you could say. Just I've got, you know, 50-something, 60 molds now. Damn. So, so I mean, you 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 experienced it, and you just hit the ground running, like you just you went full fledged into it. Yep, absolutely. What was your first mold that you ended up getting? And was your first one an epic mold, or did you kind of were you not on that train just yet? So that first trip to Iowa, um, I left there with a four cavity five inch do it Senko mold. Do it molds is a great company to get started with. The big difference with them, those are sand cast molds. So they use a sand mold, pour your aluminum into that. So they pour molten aluminum to make the mold. Yep. Um, and that's an exact copy of the Senko. It's listed right on there. It's a perfect copy. So if anybody wants to make them, you can pick up one of those molds for 40 bucks and make your own plastics. Um, so I actually left Iowa. Those guys gave me that mold. Um, I don't know if you remember, Marling had the poison dart frog video a while back. It was a silicone mold. Yeah. I left a pair of those molds, the silicone poison dart frog. And there was one other mold too, I thought. Made it might have been a three inch prey bait. Um there was something else that I left there with also. So I when I left uh, Iowa and got back home, before I even ordered new plastisol, I could remelt old lures and do some bait making myself. Hell yeah, dude. And did you 
I guess, did you have like all the equipment beforehand? Like, uh, you know, just microwave, uh, a plastic shooter. I don't even know. Plastic injector. injector. Did yeah. you have all that stuff too? Or did you just kind of pick it up along the way and Amazon had it at your when you got home? Yeah. Picked it up along the way. Um, I mean, if you wanted to get into pouring your own baits, you can do it pretty inexpensive, especially if you're doing open pour stuff. Um, even injection stuff, you can pick up a an inexpensive injector. Might not be top quality, but you can pick up one fairly inexpensive. And if you're remelting old worms, as long as it's not that Z-Man stuff, you can throw them in a cup, remelt them slowly, and repurpose that old plastic too, which is pretty cool. So you can get into the hobby pretty inexpensive if you wanted to, maybe 200 bucks or so. Or you can just go nuts and start buying um, CNC milled, like super high quality molds. Like I kind of got into. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And damn, dude, that's like you did it the right. Uh, not okay. You took a different path than than most. Yeah. A lot of people do when they kind of get into that that bait pouring mold. Like I said, a lot of guys, you know, just just whatever they get a Senko mold and they start with that. Like you, you were kind of like light years ahead of that. Like you started with the the poison dart frog and, and all these other bait molds that probably a lot of guys you know, don't see until, until they're like established and they really have gotten into it. Yeah. The, the learning curve for me was much different than most people. I learned in a very short amount of time what to do, what not to do, the right things to buy, um, particular techniques that would take somebody a lot more practice and a lot more time to, to figure that stuff out, which has been super helpful. Like I would video chat with those guys when they were in Iowa and learn how to how to do certain things or whether on Instagram live and somebody hops on and we'll, we'll chat it out while talking with some other yeah. people. Like I see stuff on the Facebook groups. There's dozens of Facebook soft plastic bait making groups and you see stuff. I don't want to like, I'm not trying to pick on anybody's work, but somebody starting up and getting into the hobby, say they're pouring a two or three layer swim bait, three color swim bait in an open pour mold. See stuff that's not laminated well, there's cold cracks in it, colors are oversaturated, that kind of stuff. Yeah. My my path into bait making minimized all that stuff for me. It was that's, like that's so cool. Yeah. So maybe that's why I got into it as much as I did because it wasn't I don't want to sound I guess cocky. Like it wasn't difficult for me to learn that stuff. I could see if somebody just bought the molds and was trying to figure this stuff on their own, all the trial and error and trying to work out all the kinks of things, yeah. they might get frustrated pretty quick and not get as invested in the hobby as some other people. Your favorite swimbait podcast is now proudly sponsored by Leviathan Rods. Leviathan Rods is a Texas-based fishing rod company that's handcrafted and uses high-end, made-in-the-USA rod blanks. Every sale from Leviathan helps support foster youth and their families. With Leviathan Rods, you're not only going to feel a difference, but you're going to help make a difference too. Friends of the show will also get 20% off their rod purchases by using code SCALES20 at checkout. So whether you're fishing a Depths 250 or a square bill, make sure you're using the best rod choice out there, Leviathan Rods. Yeah, dude. And so kind of talking about the hobby and stuff, and I guess we'll go broad spectrum here and really get your full your full introduction to like the fishing world and stuff. And then we'll, we'll revisit the, pro- uh, revisit the plastic plastic. Oh my gosh. Can't talk. Revisit the plastic and like the bait, bait molding and stuff. So, you know, jumping, jumping way back. What was your introduction to fishing? How did you get into it? When did it start? Where did it start? You know, how did it unfold for you? 
So my grandfather used to fish, um, and that's what got me into it along with my cousin. Uh, my cousin and I are only three months apart, so we would fish with my grandfather. We would fish with each other. He lived on a pond um, in the town we lived in. We lived in Smithfield, Rhode Island, but uh, he lived on a pond, so we would fish there all the time when we were kids, and that's kind of what, what got me into it. And then I guess the hobby just grew the more the more you get into it, and when you start making some money and get a job, you start buying better equipment, better gear, more interesting lures, and it really it really grew from there. So it was just something my kind of grandfather and cousin and I all got into, and like I said, it, it just continued to grow over time. Yeah, dude. I mean, that like that is very close to kind of my story and how I got into it. I mean, uh, I was born into a very fishing-heavy populated family, and everybody was was geared towards like the river fishing for steelhead and salmon and trout and uh i mean i i had a cousin my my cousin's a little bit older as far as like the age gap i think he's like a year and a couple months ahead of me but that's like we got into it together and uh i mean we used to fish all the time we'd get dropped off and we'd fish ponds lakes like michigan pier heads we used to do all sorts of stuff and then he he never got into it as much as I did. And so, you know, here, here we are today, you know, 10, yeah. 12 years later, here we are. But so for you, was it, was it like fishing that pond and stuff was like your real start to it? And then kind of, where did it go after that? How did you, maybe when you got a little bit older, did it stick with you or how, how did that unfold too? So yeah, we would fish that pond when we were kids. And like I said, as we get older into our teens, start getting a car, driving, We'd hit other spots, throw a drawn boat in the truck or a canoe, go hit local spots, carry a canoe through the woods and find a, a river or something to fish on, that sort of thing. And then we had started, like I said, buying more and better gear. Um, and we're over, I'm over here in Rhode Island, so we have, we're one of the smallest state, but we have a ton of shoreline. So surf casting, fishing for stripers, bluefish, that sort of thing from the beach and jetties is pretty popular around here too. So we'd even go catch like the night tide and fish saltwater at night over here, which is half an hour from my house. I can go do that. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask you. Cause I knew, I know Rhode Island's not the biggest around. And so I was going to ask if like, if the saltwater had an impact on you growing up, like, you know, you scroll, I mean me, I scroll like on YouTube and stuff and I get a lot of videos of guys fishing for schoolies off those jetties with like big pencil poppers and stuff like that. Was that something that you kind of grew up doing too? A little bit, not as much uh, saltwater fishing. That would be more like once in a while on the weekends, we'd go yeah. get some squid and try and catch like fluke flounder or throw some uh, topwater plugs, go after stripers, schoolies, that sort of thing. Um, but it, so saltwater fishing wasn't as much of my hobby, which is odd because Rhode Island is such a saltwater heavy fishing. Yeah, state. yeah. Um, but more, more bass fishing, more local ponds, hanging out in the canoe, hanging out in the kayak, um, that sort of thing. I mean, Rhode Island's a little state. We've got 400 miles of coastline in the state, which is quite a bit. Damn, dude, that's, that's freaking crazy. And like, yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear somebody who grew up in a, like a pretty heavily saltwater area and they kind them kind of, kind of talk about how it wasn't wasn't like the big thing to them like it wasn't like what everybody else was doing and i mean i i understand that i grew up in alabama i not that i was ever big into fishing when when i lived down there because i was super young but 
like when we like when my dad and I would go to the pond, like we used to go out to uh, Three Mile Bridge is out in Florida or maybe it's Alabama still. And it's it's on it's on the ocean, like Gulf of Mexico, and it's like that pay to go out bridge and you fish. And like I just never had any interest in that for some reason, whatever it is. But like we used to go to the pond and catch bluegill and bass and stuff. I used to have a riot. And it it is funny because like most I mean dude, I think you could talk to a lot of people and I think majority of people would say oh yeah i'm gonna fish salt water over fresh water for whatever reason but it sounds like for you and i it was just something that never really clicked for whatever reason yeah i, I still have some salt water gear and if we happen to be down the beach for the day and all right maybe i'll bring that and throw yeah throw i don't know pencil pop or something like that just for fun i mean fishing is fishing too there's there's a couple of things i think i mean we i'm sure we can get into a little bit more later too but my focus on fishing has changed very much in the past two or three years rather than um, going more for quality over quantity. And I think that's a lot of guys that fish swim baits kind of get towards that. So, like I said, it would be a lot of times it's just being out there. Even if you're not catching anything, it's being out there and just doing it. So, um, and, I don't know, to kind of get back to saltwater, I don't know why it never was really, not that it's not my thing, but always had that more interest in freshwater fishing, particularly largemouth bass fishing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, man, maybe, I don't know, I think the the big thing for me was, like, the uncertainty of literally having no idea what's underneath you, like, for me, saltwater was always scary, because, dude, I, I didn't know it was down there, like, and that's, like, it's such an eerie feeling to think about, too, like, the unknown, and obviously that's, that, it's, like, a whole different realm of things, like, that's, like, a human nature thing, but, anyway, so, like, you, you get a little bit older in, like, your teens, and you can start driving and stuff, and I mean, I've, I've interviewed, you know, over 80 guys and a lot of guys talk about how, when they got a little bit older, they, they, I don't know if fell out of like touch with fishing is maybe the yeah. thing, but other stuff kind of took over, whether it was, you know, skating or like partying, you know, whatever it may be X, Y, Z, or they, they went to the military. Was that something that ever happened to you or had it always been like a staple in your pastime, free time, hobby, whatever you want to say? So, yeah, I had definitely had that um I definitely had that lull in things if you will. I don't know if it's chasing girls or going to parties or doing what at that point, but it was probably yeah, right around early 20s or so. So we would fish so right up through teens, my cousin and I would fish quite a bit and probably early 20s start to do other things, maybe more focused on work or that sort of thing, college careers, who knows what you have going on and fell out of it a bit. But then I don't know how many years ago it was now, maybe seven or eight years ago. Um, I hadn't been fishing in, a, in quite a while, probably, I don't want to say 10 years, but it was quite a bit. My um, my wife, Sandy, picked up a baitcaster. Um, she gave me a Shimano SLX combo and some fishing stuff and said, I think you should start fishing again. She knows how yeah. much I used to like it before, and that's what got me back into it recently. Hell yeah, man. And yeah, I, I don't know what it is. It's kind of like that coming of age thing for a lot of guys where you don't necessarily fall out of it, but it it definitely heavily takes a backseat in your list of priorities. Like I said, a whole whole slew of things happens to a young young guy when he's when he's coming of age, you know, that 16 through I'd say probably like 24, 25 years. It's just kind of Fishing always seems to to be the thing that takes the backseat, and that's not true with everybody, you know. 
and it's not true that it happens for 10 years at a time. I mean, I got out of fishing for like two years and I got back into it. I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I ever leave? Like, this is so much fun. You know, I, had, I hadn't even caught a fish. I just bought like a Depths 250. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't yep. believe I just did that. Like, it's, I, I miss this. <laughs> and that's just kind of how, how I got back into it. But I guess for you, was it like recently that you had gotten maybe acquainted with swim baits or was this something that maybe happened in like the early 2000s or, you know, when did you figure out what swim baits were? What was your first experience with them? Well, just to touch on something you said too, like I got married at 25, had my first kid at 26. We've had uh-huh. my wife and I have had four daughters. I'm going to be 40 later this year. So when I said I was out for about 10 years, and maybe it was 10, maybe it was less, probably yeah. felt like 10, but I always kind of had my eye on fishing. Like it always mm-hmm. caught my interest. Like even when I wasn't actively fishing at the time, if I caught bass or MLF or something on TV, like, yeah, I'd tune into that. It was always, like, I never disliked it. It just kind of felt I didn't have the time for it. So once she helped me get back into it by picking me up a combo and saying, hey, look, you should try getting back into fishing again, see what you think. Um, That that was a a huge turn in my life, if you will. Um, So what got me in, so to, I don't know, I, kind of went off track on your question no, a little bit like what got me into different kind of baits or bigger baits is that where you're yeah yeah like you know swim baits big soft baits whatever what was like your first experience what was the first thing that kind of got you hooked on that or got you curious with it well to even go back to when i would fish with my cousin years ago we'll say in my late teens we would throw all kinds of i don't know if ridiculous is a word but different stuff like Senkos were always a thing, yum craw bugs, like that sort of plastic spinner baits, anything you can get for uh, Rapalas, like mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Anything you could buy at a Dick's or a, a Bass Pro Shop almost off the shelf. Um, but then started seeing stuff for saltwater, like I said, because we would go saltwater fishing here and there, like the Storm, uh, like the Swim Shads with the, the pre rigged ones. Yeah. Started yep. seeing those a bit coming around. So, all right, like, why don't we throw these for freshwater? Like a bass will easily eat that. So we would throw that sort of stuff, and there were times we would go just messing around, uh, not have freshwater gear, going saltwater fishing and coming back and see a freshwater pond. Like, I'll throw a surf caster with a big storm swim shad on it, like, wherever wherever we're going. Um, so that was maybe my first experience with big baits, but I've always been interested in different baits. So back to that same time, um, if you ever see the moto minnow or the moto chug, uh, if I saw a picture, possibly, hold on, Google, you said Moto Minnow? Moto Minnow or the Moto Chug, that was an, an, I guess you could say animated, it's a motorized lure that had a little pull string on it, so when you'd cast it, it'd pull the string out, when it landed, the tail would flop in the water, or it'd have a little bit of action, and then you would pop it like a popper, and it would yank that cord out again and reset that little motor, like, buying stuff like that, or buying, uh, what was it, the head in crazy crawler like that sort of stuff that was just different that you'd see in like a small town bait shop something that's been sitting on the shelf forever that nobody bought like hey give me that thing i'll give that a try yeah yeah dang dude and i guess out there i mean you probably got exposed to like you know big five six inch paddle tails that go on big jig heads and stuff for those striper guys i I would assume right yeah I've, i've seen all that stuff i fished a bit of it but never really connected the two with connected it with freshwater fishing yeah. as much as they have recently like i knew there were big baits and you could catch i mean everybody knows you can catch small fish on big baits like mm-hmm. and somebody could throw an eight inch 
big wake bait and easily catch a one pound bass on it. That's not out of the question. Um, so it was interesting to throw different kind of lures that might not be traditional. So I think that having that sort of view of fishing with non-traditional baits got me more interested in swim baits as I started to see see more and more of them as I got more into this hobby. Yeah, and that it's funny you say that because that was kind of where my, my mindset was too. I was like, ah, I mean, I think a lot of fish have seen a Senko. They probably know what a Senko is. Yes, yep. they'll still eat it, you know, whatever. A lot of fish have seen a drop shot or uh, lipless crankbait where I live. And my thought all the time was, uh, what can I do to stand out, not only from the fish, but from everybody else too? I mean, I was... I've talked about it a little bit before. I was like a big proponent of, I think proponent's the right way I use that. I don't know. I was like a big fan of just doing the complete opposite of everybody else. Like I, yep. I had a mullet when I was in high school. Um, I used to, I used to wear pit vipers before they were like super popular. You know, the big ski glasses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I used to, I just used to be the oddball out, man. I would wear, I would wear these little, not necessarily little, but like, shorts above the knees and everybody else was wearing cargo shorts and all like all this stuff. And yeah, I always, I always like took pride in stuff like that. And when I found swim baits, it was kind of like all that stuff that I did, like in on the, like the quote unquote, like outside world, I could like translate that into my fishing stuff. And once I found that out, man, I was just buying every single bait I could. And I remember telling all my buddies, all my classmates and their parents because we were from a super small school so everybody knew that i fished and stuff and i'd tell them about these baits and they'd just be like are you serious like you're gonna you're not gonna catch anything with that you know that classic phrase or you're gonna catch a shark like yeah yeah that or like oh my gosh you bought that bait for you know 60 dollars or 50 bucks or whatever like when when the gantrails and stuff were a super hot bait of mine that i like to fish and i just i just took pride in just just making people look at me and just think, what, why is he doing that? Like, I, I enjoy that so much. Yeah. Fishing something different, throw something that the fish haven't seen before. That's kind of the, the fun of this. And even with, with making my own plastics, I can make any color I want. The molds I have as popular as they are in the home bait making community. In any pond you go to, there's, there's maybe you'd find a, on the most popular pond in my state on the, busiest fishing day of the year there's maybe two people have heard of that company or that mold or yeah, whatever yeah. it might be and that's just because it, it, a lot of people just buy the mainstream stuff because everybody out there is probably just throwing green pumpkin wacky rig senkos out there yeah 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 exactly like i said uh well like when instagram was kind of super new and all these small little bait like quote-unquote bait companies were popping up i mean i it's funny i used to work with i'm gonna say work with very loosely work with a company when i was when i was pretty young it was called tanks what was it tank bait co i think is the name of it i think i don't even know it probably still isn't even a thing but and i mean all they had were senkos some super super hard stick baits that never actually like wiggled or anything in the water um senkos they had like a maybe like a speed craw like a uh zoom speed craw and then some sort of paddle tail or something. Maybe a fluke. Maybe, okay. maybe a fluke. And those are like the three baits. And I remember they're like, oh yeah, if you buy four packs, we'll give you the fifth one for free. Man, I bought those, I bought those Senkos and I thought I was the hottest shit around. I was like, <laughs> yeah, it got just got sponsored, you know, all this. And then 
when I got older and I looked back at it, I'm like, oh, there was, you know, 60 other pages that I probably could have, oh, yeah. quote unquote, done that with, you know, like, oh yeah, buy this and we'll just send you one. We'll, we'll, we'll give you some stickers or something to be on the team. And yeah. like, like you said, it's, it's the mainstream stuff. Like you don't see, you know, I don't even know if this is real, but like, you don't see guys selling like Helgermite plastics or, you know, just whatever. It's all like the paddle tails, flukes, Senkos and that sort of thing. Yeah, and what I do too is I, I try to do things a little bit different. Like you got to set yourself apart from everybody else because, I mean, really, anybody could buy the same molds and the same plastics and more or less do the same sort of thing. So you got to have your own little edge or your own little something that makes it different. Like what, what I sell, I sell boxes. So it's a variety box. You get a little bit of everything. So if somebody yeah. wants to, wants that sort of thing, it works out well. Like I try to, um, I. I supply a local bait shop also with a lot of plastics but it's a lot of stick worms and that sort of thing that's the not that i don't enjoy the business of doing that but that's say the most boring thing you can kind of make like i'd rather make you a fancy swim bait rather than green pumpkin stick worms you can buy yum dingers if you need them that bad yeah exactly yeah i don't I don't know, man. There's, I mean, I don't know if you have TikTok, but like if you're on like the fishing side of TikTok and you scroll, you know, dude, I'd say probably 60 to 70% of the live streams you see are guys uh, pouring baits, you know, and, and it's just like kind of those simple baits, like we said, like the, the top three or four baits that, you know, every mold company makes yeah. or like the easiest molds to get a hold to, the cheapest ones. And I, it's a, I am just blown away at how many, like companies that do that mainstream stuff there is like there are that you could probably go through instagram for a week and probably just barely oh, scratch yeah. the surface of that there's there's tons and like i said I, i'd have no problem making green pumpkin senkos for anybody and i'm happy to make them for somebody if somebody wants to buy them but there's so much cooler stuff that you can get besides that so that that's kind of what i'm getting at too there's a there's a so, such a variety of molds out there colors color shift powders, different glitters, different blends of plastic. You can get softer blends for more action, harder blends for more durability. There's so much customization you can have when buying stuff and dealing with a small bait maker. Yeah. Oh my gosh, dude. I just, so that Instagram page that I quote unquote worked for is still a thing. Uh, they never post at all. They have like no followers, but uh, yeah, I mean, they posted a picture of me in 2017 so that was that was a couple of years ago <laughs> so it's, just, it's just it's just funny to look back at and and see that stuff but yeah man i mean i like when when you do see a page and they're pouring you know a bait that you know i've never seen or colors i've never seen i'm like okay that's that's cool like it stands out you're doing something like not as mainstream you know just just whatever it is i enjoy the super odd end stuff that like nobody else is doing i guess yeah yeah, that's that's right up my alley. Something different, something the fish haven't seen before. Like even if I am gonna make stick worms, I'll make the. It's a color that they haven't seen before. It's a color that nobody around here fishes. Maybe that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's so sweet. And when you got okay, so you got into like you got back into fishing and you got the molds and everything. Was there stuff like when you looked into it? Was there big bait? big like big paddle tail swim baits out there yet or was that something that was like on the horizon when you first got into it and, like, uh one, one of the first molds that uh 
Marling and Epic um, partnered up with, or the first one was a 7.5 Epic Swimmer, it's called. It's kind of like a soft plastic, I'm going to say jerk bait, but not really. It's like a jointed, top watery. Um, that's like the one with the ribs, right? Uh, no, that's the aggro, the one with the ribs. So that one, if you if you punch in, if you go to Epic Bait Mold site on Marling, it's a 7.5 Swimmer. It's got two joints on it. Um, it's like divided into thirds. So you can fish, fish it like Twitch kind of jerky um, action, which is, it's a, that's a great bait. Um, but like I said, that was the first mold that was a partnership between Epic and Marling. And that was, that was one of the first bigger baits I kind of threw. Yeah. Um, yeah. For soft plastics anyway. Dang, dude. Like, like this three inch open pour Epic nugget looks sweet. Yeah. The three and a half inch Epic mud puppy. Dude, like I'm looking at this stuff and my mind's going to like, dude, a dogfish, a bowfin would absolutely fucking eat these things. They would be gone. <laughs> Even the six inch epic sucker, that one's that's a little bit different. That's inverted. So all of those baits, all of the other baits, you pour the belly first. Mm-hmm. Top of it's open and flat because it's an open pour design. That's why. So if you look at an open pour uh, bait, the tops are flat because yep. that's how the mold is shaped. Um, the sucker is the inverse of that. You pour the top first, oh, so the yeah, belly yeah. is flat, so you can rig it to like drag right across the bottom. Yeah. So, okay, that makes sense because I've seen these baits and I never understood why they were like upside down like that. But now that I'm looking at the mold, it makes it makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm like I'm scrolling through their page. I I had no idea that they made this many this many molds like this oh, many yeah. like swim bait molds in general. Yeah, just between just between Marling and Epic, their collaborations, I have all like I said, all those open pours. I think they have eight designs right now. Wow. Just for just for open pour swim baits. Let yeah. alone worms, the little uh the prey baits. Like I said, that's just open pour. The injection stuff, there's probably another dozen, maybe fifteen of them. Damn, dude. Yeah, wow. They've got a lot of lot of just like they have two pages worth of swim bait molds on here. That's crazy. Oh yeah. Tons of stuff. Damn, dude, I like I had no idea, you know, like like we were saying, I I always had seen the mainstream stuff, so yeah. I, you know, I assumed, you know, what they say about assuming, but I assumed that that was like, I guess all that was available or like readily available. But I mean, like I know I, I scrolled through here. There's not a single mold that's out of stock or you know that says anything else other than buy now. Like, so people can get this stuff. It's just that. You know, do people like not want to spend the money on that stuff in fear of like not being able to sell out? Or do, I mean, you might not have an answer for that. That just might just be like a rhetorical question, I guess. Uh, this I, I think there's a little bit of both. So as much as I like, I'm a huge fan of Epic Bait Molds. I said that's all I pour. Um, they've got unique designs. They have whatever I need. Not mm-hmm. trying to necessarily sell them to anybody, but if anybody asked me what I would pour or what I would recommend, it would always be Epic. Having said that, there's they're a company that family-owned business. Amanda and Jason run it. Whatever they have for molds available on their um, inventory, mm-hmm. they have them ready to go. They ship them most of the time the next day. If you That's bought cool. that mold today, it'd probably be in the mail tomorrow. So yeah. they're not. They have um, a stock of them. They're not necessarily cutting them to order, mm-hmm. which is really nice. You can get something like I've had. Uh, I think it was the Spiffy Kick, which is a little about two and a half inch little paddle tail, and it has a high dorsal fin. So when you throw it on a ball head jig, you can just tuck the hook point right yeah. in that dorsal fin and kind of 
it's not weedless, but it'll keep you out of keep you out of some some trouble getting in, into trouble with it. Um, yeah. I had that mold overnighted. I think the video came out for it. Nate's video came out on like a Thursday. I had the mold on a Friday and caught fish on it Saturday morning. Like, damn, w- which was pretty cool. Yeah, dude, they have an 18 inch mega worm. That's badass. I'm just like slowly scrolling through all the molds that they offer, and like some of this stuff is super cool because it isn't. It isn't that like generic stuff that that other companies are making. Like they, what is what was this one I just saw right here? Like this four and a half inch flipping leech. That is yeah. a super sick bait. I mean, it's nothing crazy, but I mean, it's just simple and it looks like you could really jack some fish on that thing. Yeah, yeah, I actually have that mold too. That and that eighteen inch ribbon tail worm. The body of the worm is maybe I don't know, say eight or nine inches, and then you can see it's a big ten inch ribbon tail. Mm-hmm. I just last night I just rigged one of those up. With a, uh, I threw it on a four-aught beast hook weighted in the front, and then with steel, like, uh, leader material. Yeah. Made a little rig to throw on a five-aught hook on the back of it. So I've got a hook up on the top, and then a hook on the lower part of the body. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna, go, I'm actually going fishing tomorrow night, and I'll be throwing that tomorrow night, dragging that along the bottom. Heck yeah, dude. They even have ice fishing stuff? Wow. Yeah. Actually, Marshall caught, uh, Homeless Fisherman caught a fish on... That 18 inch ribbon tail worm. I saw him throwing it and I said, I sent him a DM on Instagram. I was like, hey, where'd you get that worm? And he had said something. I said, that's the 18 inch epic ribbon tail yeah, uh, yeah. worm. Like, not everybody around is throwing an 18 inch worm. Like, it's kind of easy to spot that one. It's funny you say that because I had just screenshotted that and I sent it to him and I said, dude, you need this. I'm waiting a response, but I'm sure he's going to be like, oh, yeah, I, I have I have some. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I know where you can get some if you need them too. So. There you go. Dang, dude. Like they have like, so I, I had always known about Epic molds or Epic bait molds. I should say, I yeah. always knew about them. Like people talk about it and stuff, but I had no idea that there was, there was this, this many options, I guess, available or, or maybe this, this much variety of baits that you can pick from. Like that's so badass. Yeah. Yeah. They've got a great selection. Great family um yeah fantastic to work with and what's pretty cool is jason is he's an excellent designer but he's also partnered up with marling who has a big name from excuse me a big name for himself too so you get marling's innovation and ideas and you get jason who's this master programmer for the cnc machine coming together to make some pretty fantastic stuff yeah dude that that is so badass and i mean are you like do they talk and like do you hear about molds before they they get released or published or you know they're being made and stuff or are you are you kind of like the rest of us and get kind of i guess kept in the dark about it until it gets released i can uh, neither confirm nor deny <laughs> uh, my knowledge of any molds before they're released oh yeah man um <laughs> that's hilarious i i figured you're like you're gonna give me an answer like that but oh well when I, when I was in georgia uh, a few years ago amanda and jason were still in alabama and my wife and I took a day trip over there. It was actually the day he got a second CNC machine delivered. We ended up there until, I don't know, 12, 31 in the morning. We actually took a ride to Lowe's, bought the wire and the conduit to run. Like, I wired up his second CNC machine with him. Oh, that's, yeah. that's freaking sweet. Yeah. Yeah, now they just they moved to Florida. Um, I think it's been right about a year now, and they just bought two. So they went from one to two machines. Two machines was about two years ago, and now they're at four uh, four machines. Wow, damn, dude, yeah. that's that's freaking awesome. Yeah, definitely. And, and 
so 2020-ish is when you got into it. And yes. when did you when did you start? I I guess did you start catching fish on the baits? And then we were like, oh, like uh, you know, you had probably been a part of these pages if you knew about the, those two guys. Like, when did you decide that? Hey, maybe like I'll post a couple up and just see see if people buy them or see if there's interest in them or you know whatever it may be. Well, uh, what it was when I first started making baits, I was on my personal page mostly. Um, I didn't have the the fish daddy four hundred one thing came from one of my daughters. I when I had started getting back into fishing again, and I was thinking about doing something with fishing, whether it was not that I was necessarily looking to be some sort of influencer, but share my passion of fishing with my kids, with family, going out on trips, like just documenting my fishing trips. And they said, "Oh, you should be Fish Daddy Four Hundred One," because I don't know if you know, Rhode Island is such a small state; it's forty miles by fifty miles, just about, and we have one area code for the whole state. So 401 is the entire state of Rhode Island. So that's where the, that comes in, Fish Daddy 401. Um, but when I first started making baits, it was mostly on my personal Instagram page. And I would go live on Instagram and just talk with Nick Rundle or Marling or guys like Papa Red or uh, Brent Hashimoto or uh, I'm trying to think of who else early on, um, Stillwater Bait Co. and talk with those guys and chat about how we're doing stuff and what you're making. And then people just eventually started tuning in and like, Hey, I'd like to buy those baits you poured tonight that you just showed. Like, all right, yeah, I'll send them to you. And they get a few more messages like that. And somebody said, Hey, can I order something? You mind if like, can you make me ones in all black or can you do a whatever shad pattern? Like, yeah, I could do that. And then it kind of grew from there to, to the little business that it is now. That's that's so cool, dude. Do yep. you remember the first batch of baits you sold? What they were? Uh, they were, I believe it was just the pud in the stuff. Well, I sold worms, um, five inch uh, stick worms. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else was in there? The epic mander. Uh, it's a salamander. It's got no front legs. It's a salamander with two back legs, and it's got a like a ball tail on it. Real nice okay. finesse bait. Yeah. Uh, there was something else too. I'm trying to think of some of the early early molds I had. I think that was some of the first stuff I sold. And the first kind of real thing was a matching uh, Epic Pud and Stud. So that's the three and a half inch and their 6.1 inch swim bait. Very similar squared off boot tail uh, in a matching like bunker kind of pattern. Like uh, salt water. Somebody was using them for salt water. Um, so it was like a pearl kind of belly, a bit of a yellow and like a silver top with some shad dots. I was like the first kind of big thing that I actually sold, like somebody placed an order. Not oh, yeah, just dude. asking to buy like, hey, those things you posted the other night, can I buy those? This was somebody who's like, hey, I'd like you to make me six pairs in these colors. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm looking through your site right now because I was really interested with that that epic nugget. Um, you Do you fish, I like, do you like to fish it on that four-out weighted swim bait hook? So that's what, Right on Epic site, and I list them on my website too. Um, they'll design them to work with a particular swim bait hook. Okay. They'll work with others like BKK or Good Trocars, whoever VMC, whatever you particularly yeah. like hooks. But owners, owner beast hooks have kind of been the standard. Yeah, that's um, what I figured. Yeah, the nugget and the pod, I believe both rig with the four aught. The stud is a ten aught. Um, the sucker. And the uh, seven, uh, so the sucker and the eight point two five inch, the ribbon tail swim bait. I think those are both eight aught hooks, um, but they're anywhere from four to twelves, depending on the bait. 
Okay, dude, I'm gonna have to buy some of these, the Epic Nugget and the Epic Pud because yeah. I will. Sure. I want <laughs> those are those are both in snack right there. That's like the perfect okay. size. But let anyway. me know. Uh, let me know what patterns you're interested in. We can talk. Heck yeah, man, sounds good. We'll we'll talk after this. We'll talk after this. But um, so you you sold your first pack. What was that like? And I guess even more than that, what was it like, like getting the first fish pictures or getting tagged in pictures? Was it like, whoa, like obviously baits catch fish, but you know, it, it's probably, it probably is very special when you know that you poured that bait. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a big deal. Knowing that one, like somebody saying, Hey, I'd like to buy something that you made. I'd be like, what are you kidding me? Like, do you really like you're really interested in something that I made. That was a yeah. an odd feeling to get around at first. Um, and then getting pictures and catches on that and somebody mm-hmm. else sharing that. I mean, it might sound cheesy, but like sharing that on social media, like, hey, look at these baits I just picked up from so-and-so. To see that, yeah. something I made generated that enthusiasm for somebody in this hobby was, was a huge deal to me. So... I'm probably not the best salesman for my own baits or the best fisherman for my own baits because as much as stuff that I make, I like fishing the baits that my friends make more than the stuff that I make just because yeah. I want to get something on. I've got a buddy, Papa Red. He makes a fantastic, um, he makes a couple of different versions, but the Papa Plopper, which is a mouse with a Whopper Plopper tail, that's all okay. his own custom mold. And he does a wake mouse, similar similar mold uh, with the, it's got a lip on it, two-piece wake with a like a worm for a tail. Both fantastic baits. I like I said, I'm probably the worst salesman for my own stuff. I'd rather fish that and catch yeah. a fish on that and show him than throwing wacky rigging one of my senkos. Like, do you know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. Yeah, dude. And I, I don't know. I'm kind of the same way where I like. I'm sure you do too. Like, I take pride in my work. Yeah. But it's hard for me, like it feels really weird to try to sell my stuff. Not, not necessarily sell as in like physically sell, but like, you know, like post like, Oh guys, like I'm doing this, you know, X, Y, Z, like check it out, you know, buy, buy, buy one or, you know, whatever it may be. Like that's, that's a really hard thing for me to get around to because like I see value in my stuff, but I'm never sure if I just see value in it because I know what it took to be made, like the magazine and stuff, like, I had a couple guys complain after they got it, like, oh, this isn't worth $30, X, Y, Z. And they act, I mean, I don't care if he hears this. I don't even know if he listens to the podcast, but he's like, oh, I don't think that was worth $30. And he didn't know who I was because I was messaging him, like, on my personal account. And I'm like, damn, dude, like, I spent, like, 70 hours on that. I'm sorry he didn't think it was worth $30. It's like, oh, no, well, it was good. He's like, it just, you know, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, and that just self promotion. You're putting yourself out there too. Yeah, and that was like after vulnerable to that somebody else's opinion of of what you did that you might have put your heart and soul into, like the magazine. You put a lot of effort into that. So for somebody to say, "Oh, I don't think it's worth that," like, where, yeah, maybe not to you, but somebody else, it would be worth fifty dollars. Right, and and I had gotten a lot of super super good feedback before that. And like, I, dude, I was, I was on my high horse. I'm like, wow, like there's, there's like people really enjoy this. And then I heard that and I won't lie for like a day or two. Like that oh, just, yeah. put, that just like put me in, put me in a slump. I'm like, like, fuck, like maybe, maybe I, maybe it should only be, you know, $20. And then like, you know, all my friends are like, dude, like, you know, 
No, like you, you've spent the last three months working on this. You haven't, you've literally only been recording podcasts and working on it, you know, words of affirmation. And I'm like, okay, yeah, like it make, yeah. And then like just the overwhelming support on the pre-orders I had to do and stuff. I'm like, okay, like, and then people posting it and you know, whatever else I'm like, okay, like, you know, one, one bad, one bad batch or one bad thing in the batch doesn't ruin the whole thing. So I'm like, okay, like, and so I've kind of, I've gotten better at it. I've gotten better at, and it was like, it wasn't even necessary or it wasn't even constructive criticism either. He was just kind of like, it seemed like straight up just like, yeah, like it was just not worth it. Like he didn't really give any reasons why. And so that, I think that's why I like took it so hard. I'm like, damn, like, and then at that point, dude, like I contemplated even doing a second one. Like, I'm like, is it even worth to do another one? And yeah, like after a day or two, I'm like, yeah, it's definitely worth doing another one. Like it, it like it was the first one. Like it was going to be not as great as it could have been. Cause dude, I've never made a magazine in my life. Like it was, it was just a trial and error thing. And yeah. I, this next one, this next one is going to be really, really good. It's going to be, I think almost as of now, it's going to be close to probably 60 or 70 pages. Oh, wow. Okay. And I, I think, I think it's just going to be a lot better than the first one. And, and like I said, like, like I told everybody after that, I'm like, as long as I like improve on the last one, I'm like, I, I can't be mad at all. Yeah, I, I mean, hey, I thought it, I thought it was fantastic, but also you don't know what that person's expectations were ahead of time. That they may have unreasonable expectations to begin yeah. with. So no matter what that person gets, they're going to be disappointed with it always. Yeah, my, Do you know what I mean? So, like, meaning, like, I guess I'm trying to get to you can't please everybody. Like, yeah, if he yeah. bought it, he's like, well, I'm sorry about that. Not that you want to say don't buy another one, but the majority of people that bought it were very happy and enthusiastic about it. I've got messages too. People say baits are too expensive. Oh, I can go get that at Bass Pro for $2. Like one, no, you can't because a lot of the molds are you stick where molds. Yes. That's why like my comment before about yum ding is you yeah, can buy yeah. $4 a pack anywhere. But that Epic Agro, there's, I don't know how many molds that Epic bait molds have sold of it. But that's the only place you can get them. So mm-hmm. unless somebody owns that mold that you know, you can't buy that or buy it yourself and make it because that's the only, there's, there's one way to get it. That's it. Yeah, dude. I don't know. Like looking at stuff from the outside in, it's always easy to to be like even more than been constructive constructive criticism. Like just be you know straight up a dick about it or you know voice X Y Z and. Unless you were there, helped do it, did it, whatever, you know, helped take massive amount of time to do it. Like people, there's just people out there that don't understand. I mean, there was, dude, there's people that bitch about, uh, about that new tyrant and how expensive that is. And I'm like, I mean, I can understand, like, I'm sure Gilbert had, you know, countless, countless hours into it. He'd been doing it for like four years, like that that's a guy who goes through so much R and D. Like I'm like okay, and I'm sure he went through so much plastic to figure out you know the best the best ratio to whatever to whatever. I don't know how that all that stuff works or the best brand uh, material to use the how soft it should be or whatever not. And I'm like, you know, like I one twenty five seems high, but it's because you don't see all the stuff that was going on behind the doors. Like that's just and that's just kind of how it is with everything. I feel like. Yeah, it absolutely is. And that's, I mean, like I said, I'm not trying to sell Epic Bait Molds to everybody, but somebody might see a mold as saying, like, you can get a $40 do-it 
stickware mold. The finish on that's going to be very different because it's sandcast aluminum and it's, um, I guess pitted would be the best word to say it versus yeah, a milled yeah. CNC aluminum mold. The the molds that I have, I think they're two thirty five a piece. They're eight cavity five inch stickware molds. That's nearly seven hundred dollars for three molds. Or somebody and spending like one twenty on in that money versus spending. Like, or maybe it's not for them. It's not for everybody, but some people it is for. I mean, that's also an investment too, because the molds are like tools. Like, they're not going to go bad unless you gouge them up, or, or I don't know how you break an aluminum mold. But unless you're taking tools to them and doing some sort of damage, it's not going to go bad. It's always going to have some sort of value too. It's not something that that wears out over time. Plastisol is never going to wear. Out. You couldn't wear out an aluminum mold. Yeah, right. And that that does make sense. Um. I had a question referring to uh, da, 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 da. fuck. I I can't even remember. So I guess we'll jump jump that train of thought for now. Uh, so we'll we'll kind of get into like your style of fishing and stuff. So you got into kind of like the big unique style baits, and when you got into swim baits, what was what was your first? What was the first one? I guess you bought and what was like your experiences with it like maybe it was a glide bait or a wake bait what was kind of like that initial thought after you got a, a big swim bait or even just like a even just a swim bait in general kind of so besides like those pre-rigged like storm shad deals yeah. when i like more recently when i really started getting seriously into because my fishing before was always casual this is more a little bit more serious i'm trying to think of what my first i guess what would you define as a swim bait because one of the first things i got i happened to uh uh, on that Iowa trip, um, he came back home. Nate had given me, I don't know if you've seen his wasp video, that topwater crawler wasp. Yeah, yeah, I know what I, you're talking about. I have that. Um, so that was one of my, that was one of the first baits that I fished with. That was like a big, something not traditional to that level. Um, and then shortly after that, getting into, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the real early stuff. Um, Papa Red's Papa Plopper, maybe. Hashimoto, my buddy Brent Hashimoto makes a uh, an Apex, which is like a soft plastic, or it is a soft plastic, I guess the best way you could say it is a little, like, little chubby shark. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe three or four inches long. I think it rigs with a six or eight-aught beaster. That's a fantastic little bait. So that was, so my path into big swim baits, just like my path into soft plastics, has been a little bit different. I didn't go with um, would you say, like, Gantrells or HUDs or something like that, that everybody's like the the their regular path into this hobby yeah. mine was a bit different a bit different than most yeah dude that's that's so cool and i mean like that and that's like i'm kind of backtracking here a little bit but that's like guys who who piss and moan about marling baits when he sells those baits you know for whatever amount of dollars yeah. and they're like oh my gosh i I can't believe that, you know, three, whatever, three, $600, however much they are. And it's like, guys, he, he literally went through the process on, on a YouTube video. Like it, you can tell that it took like two or three days to do why, dude, I don't know. I just, I get so upset when people don't find value in others work that like is documented on how long it takes and stuff. Like it's just, ugh, that just pisses me off, I guess. And that's one. There's one of those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm just scrolling through my Instagram now to see some of the early stuff, like some of the first baits I posted besides stuff that I made. 
like one of the early ones that I poured and fished with was the six point one inch stud. That's a that's a six inch boot tail rigs on a ten op beast hook. That was one of the earlier bigger soft plastics that I fished with. But getting into like harder or hard baits like weights yeah. and stuff. Um my buddy Matt Klondike Custom Creations made me a nice um I guess it's a big would be a small saltwater popper or large top uh large freshwater popper. I think it's uh I forgot how big he said it was maybe four and a half, five inches. So it's on my Instagram from a while ago back in like April of twenty one. Okay. Um like shark teeth painted on it and all that. It's actually nice. had a nice uh tied feather treble on the tail. Um so yeah, my my journey into big swim baits has been more the past two, three years. Mm-hmm. I don't know how popular it's been on the East Coast, but mine was more organic. It was connecting with these other makers on Instagram that see this guy makes a really cool wake bait. I make plastic, say, hey look, I'll send you a box of plastic, send me a wake bait. Like, all right, we'll and we'll trade and that's how I'll get into it. Yeah, dude, and that that's super cool. And the one thing you would you kind of mentioned fishing like these big paddle tails and soft baits and stuff. And I mean, dude, you're like you're like ten percent of swim baiters. Like you, oh, dude, I'm probably even less than that now that I'm now that I completed the thought I was about to say. Like, there are guys who have been swim baiting for you know six seven years, and they are still for whatever reason, you know, whole whole slew of reasons, they still are very unsure about picking up a big soft bait. So like, I think if that's kind of how you got into it, I feel like you got the, that quote unquote, that hard part out of the way. Like dude, a lot of guys can catch fish on a hard bait, but there is not very many guys, nearly the amount that can catch fish on a soft bait. One of the, the first bait I ever made, like I said, was at, uh, my buddy Nick's garage it was me, him, Marling, and uh, another local guy over there, another Nate, uh, Nate Jones. We, the first bait I shot was a laminated um, 5.6 inch prey bait. So if you like, if you want to take a look at that one, that's on Epic site. That was one of the first, maybe three or four molds that Nate had designed with Epic. Um, that's a fantastic bait. I believe it's an ADOT uh, owner swim bait hook. It rigs on, but. My first, literally the first bait I ever made was that, and it was a silvery blue and kind of pearl belly laminate. I went right for dual injection right off the bat. No hand pouring, no making stick worms. The first bait I shot was a 5.6 inch paddle tail swim bait. That's what, so that was one of the first baits I fished that were big soft plastics. Yeah, like I said, you were, you were ahead of, of, Of majority of guys, even now, like I said, that have been doing it for a long time. That, I mean, I mean that's that's so badass ago, here. Uh, sorry to cut you off. Years no, ago, we would always fish like the uh, power bait, the power worms, like the big ten inch black ones at night. Yeah, that was always a fantastic net. But like a ten inch worm is not very different than a than a five or six inch big paddle tail. That prey bait's a fantastic bait. It's got a nice hook slot in the belly, collapses around your hook nice. It's not like a lot of them are designed to be kind of weedless, like not you don't have an open hook point, but mm-hmm. like I said, they'll they'll keep you out of trouble a little bit is what I like to say. Yeah. And it sounds like you you've been around it and you have a decent idea of I mean just just from the last couple of sentences you said, it sounds like you have a good idea it what makes a big soft bait you know effective and yeah. and fish good and stuff so is there ever you know don't you don't have to name any names or anything obviously but is there ever times where you see 
new baits on the market, you know, from whatever. And you you think and you're like, I wonder why he did that. Like he could have done this to be more effective or you know, just to just to XYZ. Is that does that happen to you quite a bit? Like I mean, dude, I used to hang siding on houses and I'll drive by a house and I'll be like, that siding looks like shit. Like it doesn't line up, you know, they didn't they didn't tack in the top piece, so now it's hanging out fly flopping around in the wind or their bird boxes on on their gables are all falling off or you know just whatever is that something that happens to you or goes through your mind like when you're scrolling through instagram yeah between instagram or even being in the stores you see a lot of the new new stuff that comes out like i I don't want to pick on googan baits or anybody like that but there's there's things you see that are more trendy or um like designs that could be improved upon but also a lot of the stuff you see that's mass produced is mass produced in a way so it can or it's made in a way shaped in a way that it can be mass produced when you have something like that 5.6 inch fray bait i don't know if that could be done on a level that zoom could put out thousands of them at at a time you know what i mean that's something like some of these they got to be done by hand it's kind of like one and two at a time you make them so but yeah long and short of it yeah this this stuff i see all the time that like, well, why didn't they put a hook slot in here? Or why didn't they put a, uh, um, give you a little groove on top to bury your hook a little bit? Why not get a little more meat on the front of it so your screw eye doesn't pull out of there as easy? That sort of thing. Yeah, and I guess on the other the other side of that, do you see baits, you know, baits, baits maybe like the Tyrant or maybe like the new uh, Working Class Zero Battle Shat? I, I don't know why I just said the whole name. But like, yeah. like the Battle Shad with the head harness and stuff and... Do you kind of do you see that and you're like okay like there there is innovation now or there there still is innovation in like the soft sun bait world it's not not kind of just going off like the basic standard stuff we've had for 20 years well that's funny too because like working class zero i mean they make a fantastic bait how in the grand scheme of the fishing industry Mm -hmm. the amount of swim baits that they sell is such a small percentage of that but guys like you guys like me probably everyone who listens to this podcast and everyone who's been on it represent a a small population of guys that will fish will say non-traditional stuff yeah so even though that stuff sells out in no time you can go to any pond there's nobody else fishing those besides you that day right yeah so like i see that innovation it's great it's and it's it's funny because it's still on such a small level in the grand scheme of things. You know what I mean? You don't see that sort of technology of those little things coming to the mass-produced stuff yet, which is why I still say, like, support your local bait maker. Like, buy stuff from from makers you find on Instagram and small businesses and go to these trade shows and go to, like, the, the expos or that sort of thing to, to meet these people and find out why what they make is different and better and... um the the thought and the time they put into them a lot of them are their own designs yeah dude like i i dude this is just one thing that it always kind of stood out to me i bet you catch coat and then i bet you googan as well so two yeah. kind of same company whatever so do you remember mm, this was 2017 maybe when catch coat came out with their shimmer shad and it had like the tin foil in the middle of it this was a long yeah, yeah. time ago. I, I, so between that and putting a rattle bait into a Ned Rig worm, I would put a lot of money that those that was not 
the first of its kind. Like like you said, I bet you there was a guy, you know, in Pennsylvania, in Oregon, in Nebraska who'd been doing that for the last two or three years. And oh, then yeah. somebody comes up with this idea and it just it gets taken on by storm. And this guy is like, really, guys? Like I've I've sold, you know, seven thousand packs of these, but I've never made a name out of myself. And here comes these big companies that quote unquote came up with it or whatever and they're just capitalizing on it. Yeah, that's you see that all the time. Somebody kinda copies a design or knocks it off a little bit and then for some reason it takes off with them. But you got a small maker who's trying to trying to make a name for themselves and trying to do it. Yeah. They don't have the reach sometimes. That's why like I say, I, I say it over and over again. It's like support your local bay maker, share stuff. Like even I, I make baits. If you if you scroll my Instagram, my stories or my page, half of the stuff on there is from friends of mine that make stuff that I don't eat. Like they sell it. I'm mm-hmm. pushing their stuff. Like the I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lose business by sharing a friend's page. Do you know what I mean? If anything, it's gonna get more exposure and help everybody get into these small kind of craft makers. Yeah, dude, exactly. And that's kind of like, dude, I feel like a lot of people don't understand that. Like, yeah. sharing somebody's stuff is free. Like, yeah. if you're not going to buy anything from them or, you know, whatever, but you guys are friends, sharing it and exposing it to, because, like, my 2,000 followers are different than your 4,000 followers. I mean, I'm sure we've probably got, like, 300 of the same. But yeah. outside yeah. that, I mean, there's people that, that have no idea who you are. And there's people on your story or your following list that have never heard of scales and tails podcast. And it's like it, ah, dude, I don't know guys, guys like don't want to swallow their pride to help support a friend. It feels like, and obviously that's not, not the case, you know, with, with 75% of people, but there's always, there's always a group of guys who always say how much they like your stuff or, you know, whatever. And then when the time comes to share it or like, or comment or, you know, whatever. And it, they just kind of crickets. Like they just disappear. I feel like. So I've got a buddy, Stillwater Bait Co. Daryl, who makes probably, I don't know. We probably have 30 of the same molds. I'd say like uh-huh. he and I both make, both make the boss. We both make the pod, the nugget, the ag, like we both make a ton of the same baits. He does things very differently. He's, I believe he's full-time making baits. But he will make batches of baits, and he has stuff on his website available for sale most of the time. Like, you could go on there and buy a pack of 3-inch prey baits. You could go on there and buy some 1.7-inch prey baits or some worms or whatever it might be. I take things a little bit differently. I do um, what I like to sell is bait boxes. So I'll go out to the garage. I don't, I don't particularly like to take orders because I feel like I'm always behind when I take an order mm-hmm. rather than I go out in the garage. I have time to be creative, make what I want or what I think is cool at the time, put a box together. So my stuff, I ship it in a, uh, a flambo, either like 4,007 or 3,007 box with uh, usually get a full set of open pour swim baits. So eight of them along with some injection baits mixed in, whether it's the Drax or some worms or some paddle tails, whatever they might be. And I post those boxes up. They go anywhere from like $50 to $60. Um, some of the more premium stuff with some color shift mica might go for like $65, $70. Because that stuff is um, a little 5-gram packet of like color shift powders, like 40 bucks. So oh, I'm, using, I'm putting $20 of color shift powder in, in, <laughs> in a run of baits, like... 
I kind of got to charge for it. Plus the boxes I put them in there, the boxes are $5 and it's $10 to ship. So on a $50 box, I could like, or say a $65 box, five for the box right now at 60, 10 to ship. I'm down to 50. I got $10 on mica powder in it, mica powder in it. That's 40. And you're getting eight hand poured baits and plus four or five, like equivalent of packages of baits. You might get 16 worms and then another like 12 or 16, 24 paddle tails in it. So I, I think you get a pretty good value. But anyway, I make that stuff. He makes other stuff. We make the same things. I'll get a message from somebody saying, hey, do you have this? I'll just send them to him. I'm happy to happy to refer somebody to, to make yeah. something if I can't do it at the time. Yeah, dude. <clears throat> One second. Oh, got something in my throat. Yeah, man. It's like guys are scared to show that they support their buddies or just, you know, whatever it is. And that's something that I've always thought of, but when you start to, uh, you know, do something, start a brand or, or just whatever it is, it really comes to light. Like you're like, okay, like, you know, oh, this guy, you know, this guy I've talked to four times in the last six years, barely know who he is, never met him in real life. He shares every single meme I post or every single cast to catch yeah. or, you know, just whatever. He tags me every time he gets a sticker or a magazine or when he's listening to the podcast. And it's like, wow, like, this guy essentially has no idea who I am. Like we've never talked. He owes me nothing. We don't like we're acquaintances. If, if that's the stretch of the word and he's out here sharing my stuff because he enjoys it. Like that's just, that's going back to the, to the thing we were talking about earlier about the magazine and stuff. It's huge. And it does. And I hope those type of people, I hope that it doesn't go unnoticed because there's a lot of them that do like every story I have, somebody's got, hearts on or sharing posts and saying hey check out with this person like that's a big deal and it actually does help and it keeps it's what like those days when you're like when you're working on the magazine or i'm in the garage i'm like oh what do i pour tonight those are the little things that you keep in mind that are like you know what like that's what keeps you moving forward on that stuff a lot of times yeah dude like when when guys got the first magazine and <clears throat> they were already asking me like dude like how do i sign up for the next one like i want the next one like i don't want to miss out and it's like, okay, like I obviously there's people <clears throat> there's people who want this. So I, I need to get it done. Like people are showing this much interest in it. I need to provide for <clears throat> oh my gosh. I need to provide for their for their want of this thing, I guess is kind of how I feel. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. I don't know, man. That's just that's just kinda how, how I am and that's kinda how it's always been. Like if, if you're gonna show interest in my work, like I'm going to bust my hump. So the work that you do see is, is the best of my abilities. Yeah, I agree. And so hold on, I'm, I'm reading through the questions here. Uh, sure. Okay. This, this is a good one. So you've been pouring baits for about two, two, three years now. When you first got started, what was the process? Like, were like, were you super clunky with it? Did it take you a long time to get a pack of Senkos made or kind of how, how ha how have you evolved from from then till now? I said something joking to somebody that asked me about starting making baits. It might have been on one of the groups, or I forget if it was in a chat. But I said, "You're not a re you're not a real master baiter until you've made a thousand stick worms and a do it four cavity mold. Like until you've shot that mold two hundred fifty times and figured it out and done that. Like all right, now you get the motions and now you figured it out. What's the there's um." I forget the the expression about becoming a, a master at something. It's something like oh, a thousand 10, hours. Ten thousand hours, I think. Ten thousand hours you gotta put in 
whatever it is, 10 hours a day for however much time. It does take time. Like I said, my, my learning curve was probably much less than others, being that I had some good friends that um, I didn't have to figure out, like I didn't have to buy garbage plasma salt to start with. So they said like, no, just go buy this injector. Don't buy the, this one. Don't buy A, B, or C. Buy this one now. You'll be happy with it. Yes, it's more money. It's worth the money and just buy it now because you're going to buy the first one, not like it. Then you're going to buy the other, like, just go buy that one. Um, so for me, it was early on, it was, I guess the bigger problem was not having the amount of molds. So like if you have two molds, you're only making two open pour baits at a time. So you got to pour them, get them hot, pour them, let them cool, demold them, put them aside, then like make another two, make another two. So to make four baits, so put it this way. If I had a pud mold and a stud mold, two open pours, it would take me an hour to make two baits, another hour to make two more. I can pour 16 right now in that same hour. Wow. So having more molds, once you understand how to, how to pour them, there's a bit of a learning curve there, heat management and that sort of thing, making sure your plastic's at the right temperature, that kind of stuff. Um, but when, once you can get more molds, your production can go up quite a bit. That's the biggest thing. Um, but... I think just practice my efficiency. When I once I started getting going, it was doing it more and more and more. Like just putting in the time. Like, all right, I'm gonna make a hundred stick worms tonight and just keep shooting that and really figure that mold out. So practice I'd say is the biggest thing to become to becoming efficient. And getting your bait station set up to where you like things. I, I wouldn't try it, but I would bet that I could go in my shop blindfolded and probably tell right where everything is just know right where i'm reaching not have to look at the microwave to hit the right buttons on it because you you know where everything is you get into that groove and that's just putting the time in yeah dude that's i mean when you become efficient in something that's how you know that you've got some time behind it i mean like i've come to the realization that i can't work on the magazine when it's light out because i'll just look out my window look at the river the whole time or i'll be on my phone the whole time it's got to be pitch black in my apartment Got to have my phone on. Do not disturb my AirPods in. I got to, yep. I can't listen. There's songs that I can't listen to because I, I it just puts me in a mood that, you know, I want to do something else. <clears throat> so there's like the whole list of instrumental <laughs> that I got to listen to or certain, certain, uh, you know, guys singing that I have to listen to, to kind of to be yep. in that mode. And once I'm locked in, I know I'm locked in, but it's like the stuff has to set up for me to be very efficient at, at what I got to do. Like last night, I think I made like 11 pages last night. That was, that was like four, almost five hours of work though. But still like I was just locked in. I know I got up like twice to go to the bathroom, get some water or get a drink. And it was just right back down. Boom. Like I hadn't left. There were nights. I've got a buddy unicorn baits out in California. That's a three hour time difference. I'll start making baits some nights at nine o'clock over here, East coast. So it's 6 PM for him. Then Instagram lives on a business page, I can run four hours before like before it shuts off and you gotta restart oh, really? it. Yeah. I so yeah. I can do four hour live streams. I'm pretty sure it's four. It might be three, but I'm pretty sure it's four hour live streams. And I've gone until like Instagram shuts off. Now it's one yeah. in the morning. Yeah. And he's over there like, Oh, I gotta get to bed. It's eleven o'clock. I'm like, buddy, it's two o'clock in the morning here. Like yeah. I get to bed. It's a Tuesday night at two AM. A lot of those are on my page, like those old Instagram lives we mm-hmm. used to do. I, I still do them once in a while, and it's nice to interact with people. Like, all right, I'm pouring swim baits tonight. What color do you want to see? Like, yeah, give me yeah. a color for the belly, and I'll pour that. 
and give me the next color for like a bloodline. Give me a color for the top, and I'll just pour them like that. Take them apart at the end and show everybody what we came up with. Hell yeah, dude, that's sweet. And that's like my my sleep schedule is like very non-existent. Um, so I get yeah. I get up for work at six, and I get home at at five five thirty. I mean, dude. Uh, so recently, since it's been nice out, I'll go out and fish for about an hour while while my dinner is being made up here. Uh, while I'm making dinner, come back, eat dinner, wash the dishes, you know, pick up a little bit, and then right around that time, it's it's probably about eight o'clock, and I usually sit down until two or three in the morning, like on on a work night. It's yeah. like three four hours. I've gotten to be very productive on three or four hours and, and my body kind of knows how to work on work on that that amount of sleep and then like dude on the weekends on the weekends i splurge i'll go to sleep at like i know i'll go to sleep early like i'll go to sleep at like 11 and get up at seven and i'm just like whoa like i just got a lot of sleep and even then there was uh been two weeks ago now i i ended up taking three naps one sunday before 12 o'clock in the afternoon like i was just tired man i'd fall asleep for 45 minutes hour and a half wake up like oh my gosh day's almost over fall back asleep again wake up oh my gosh like go get some lunch come back fall back asleep like it was that was that's just kind of how how my weekends are mostly sundays are sundays are for sleeping so my my oldest is 13 my youngest is five saturdays and sundays i'm driving one of the one of the kids to one dance class at Mm. some point there's no sleep, and that little one's up at like six o'clock in the morning. Like, hey, let's go! <laughs> Somebody make me a bowl of cereal right now. Yeah, yeah. Damn, man. So, there's no off button on on those kids. I'll come in at two o'clock in the morning, take a shower, crash, and then I'm up at six o'clock some days. Yeah, yeah. Being the chauffeur, damn, like that. I mean, I don't have a kid or any kids at all that matter, but our dog, man, he's he know like six o'clock. He knows that it's time. He's gotta I go outside, go to the bathroom. Then he'll come inside, eat breakfast. And then he'll think about going to sleep, but he never actually goes back to sleep. So usually when I'm there on the weekend, since he stays with my girlfriend and her family, it's my obligation to let him out and feed him. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, I just want to sleep, dude. <laughs> or go fishing early too. Yeah. yeah I'll get up yeah. early for fishing. It's, it's funny how you're never as tired getting up early to go fishing as you are if you get up early to go to work. Yeah, you know? dude. Like Saturday, we went to Lake St. Clair and I didn't end up falling asleep until about 1.30 Sunday morning. You were up at five, ready to go, right? No, no, I got up at three thirty because I had to be at the guy's house at four, and then we didn't get back home. I didn't get back home until one o'clock Monday morning, dude. That that was a bender. I don't know. We we caught good fish, and if that wouldn't have been the case, then it would not have been worth it at all. I mean, it was cold yeah. and miserable, but it it was worth it with for the fish we caught. Yeah. I got to go back, go back to the questions here. We kind of go off on little side topics. I shut my phone (laughs) off and then I exit off the app. (laughs) Uh, Okay. This is, this is a good one. So what is, I mean, you kind of talked about, you're not the best salesman for your baits, but what's the biggest fish you've caught on one of your port baits? And what bait was it? Um, So we can get into this other topic a little bit later i mentioned earlier like i've been fishing for quality over quantity lately um yeah, we'll so I throw, like, i'll go out and throw one bait all night long because i want to catch something on that particular one but surprisingly the largest fish i caught on one of the baits that i made was on one of the smallest baits that i make it was on the 1.7 inch prey bait um fish was just eh, i would say 
just over um it was just over three it was right about i think it was three four three three something like that um but yeah just broke three pounds that was on a little 1.7 inch uh prey bait on a uh my buddy bait and tackle b-a-n uh tackle a uh, little underspin that he made me yeah that was i had no camera nothing either like which kills me yeah yeah Going the thing, it was just like fishing and then forgetting to take pictures and do all that stuff. But that's the biggest one that I've caught on one of my baits, which is not, I mean, over three pounds. I know you had um, LFOD on here the other day. Uh, they had mentioned in New Hampshire anything over, I think he said anything over three or four was a pretty good fish around here. Like our state record's 11, um, and it was 10 for like, I think it was 10, six for like 40 years. So anybody who breaks ten pounds, that's a once in a lifetime fish. Wow. So if you're catching any like over five, I know a lot of guys who haven't broken five fishing. So a five in a season would be a pretty good. It'd be a really good fish. Damn, dude. And then what about biggest fish that somebody else has caught? Biggest fish caught on one of your baits? Biggest fish, I would. I think. I'm trying to think who has the biggest one. Um, Sack Pig had a good few on, um, I think it was on a 5.6 inch prey bait. Um, trying to think. I don't know offhand the biggest one. Oh, no, I know. Uh, my buddy John, who just got one at, I forgot what, where he was at the tournament. I know he's going to Candlewood soon. He was at, um, it was five and change. On a on the Epic Drax, it was a five inch. Um, if you look on Epic's website or my website, it's a five inch kind of craw. That's the flapping Drax. It's got ribs on it and four like flappy appendages. Mm-hmm. I think that was from. You know where he just was at? It was a Fisher Jones. Trying to look up the the actual tournament name, but yeah, he was just in a tournament last weekend. Damn. Damn. Damn dude, Oh, cool. That's where he was. He was out of the Chesapeake Bay, and he got one. It was just over five. Hell yeah, dude. And that, I mean, yeah. like seeing so many fish caught on your stuff, too, is probably a crazy feeling. Then to see somebody, you know, catch their PB on it, that's probably yeah. that's probably even more wild. Yeah, I, I've had people, I mean, easily, I've had a bunch of fish that I've seen, four or five pound range, um, nothing massive yet, but. I mean, there's always time too. It depends on how much time people put in with them and fish them. But yeah, I, ho- I hope that they do. I'm happy if somebody catches big fish, um, I send them baits. Like I'll hook people up. If somebody posts a, uh, an eight pound bass with a with one of the baits that I made hanging out of its mouth. Like I'm happy to send you more baits. Yeah, if yeah. <laughs> that's what they're going to turn into. Yeah, dude. That I mean, yeah. Like, and that's how it is. I think with a lot of bait builders too. Like when guys know that they they really like your baits whether it's a glide bait or wake bait or big soft bait whatever and like you stick good fish on it and you you share their stuff on social media and you tag them and like i mean even even as a builder like if they're posting like drop updates and guys you know guys who are fishing your stuff catching a lot of fish or sharing it you know like oh you guys if like if you want to catch these fish like i am go over here you know xyz i mean that's like the stuff that we were talking about earlier and we i know we talked about this a couple times already but like like when, when people see that you support them and like non-monetary value as well, like just like hyping yeah. them up and stuff, like that goes a long ways with a lot of people. What better advertisement for my baits or anybody who makes baits? What better advertisement for them than 
showing them hanging out of a good-sized fish's mouth. Like, hey, these baits work, and they're effective. Like, that's fantastic. That's such a huge thing. And I don't know if people realize how much, even if it's a, a one-pound fish, just showing that the baits work, and that, like I said, they're working, they're effective, that's a, that means the, the world to the maker. I don't know if people see that as much, but it does. Yeah, I think, I think, it, I think it probably gets overshadowed and probably, how do I want to say this? I feel like builders probably get, uh, I guess, get kind of numb to that feeling. Like if, if they kind of get pretty big and stuff. Not saying that it doesn't mean any more to them, but they like, they're like, oh, this guy caught his PB, you know, whatever or not whatever, but like, oh, this guy caught his PB, and you're like, well, you know, I, I mean, yeah, my baits work, I know that. Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm doing a really bad idea of explaining what's going on in my head right now, just because I don't really know how to word it. <laughs> no, I, I, I kind of get what you're saying too. Like, if it's like you said, a bigger name that's an effective bait and catches lots of fish, if you're seeing that all the time. Does it like does it lose its um, importance to you? Maybe. Yeah, like, yeah, that, that's probably not as important as it was when you were first starting out. I don't know. I, I mean, to me, I appreciate it every single time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe people that like maybe it does get lost a little bit as as things change. Like, does that does that guy who maybe appreciates the baits more than the, another person or really enjoys fishing them who catches a three pound bass and that's the biggest he got all season but he just happens to live in wisconsin mm-hmm. and somebody else who's in southern california who's catching double digits on a on a tuesday afternoon do you know what i mean like it's it's where you are too and how much time you put in and there's all kinds of stuff involved but i i always appreciate it yeah it's like i i kind of put it together now so it's like you get way more of a sense of like happiness when you see a fish caught in whereas like probably the guy who invented the mag draft or the you know yeah. whatever they they're more dull to that because you know everybody catches fish on this bait or you know however it may be and i i think that's kind of i think that's what i was trying to go for i feel like <laughs> no i i got you yeah does, does gary yamamoto what is that what a two pound bass mean anymore yeah exactly you know i mean his baits have won how many hundreds of thousands of dollars it's like okay millions Millions of dollars i bet yeah 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 like okay cool you you caught you know four pound fish awesome thank you for the tag on instagram but uh xyz just won an elite series open flipping one of my uh crawler or yeah trailers or you know whatever and he's like okay well that's super cool but you know my bait won an elite series five years ago so it's just kind of like I feel like you get kind of dull to that feeling when you start to when you start to get super big and, and well known and stuff, probably. Yeah. yeah, I could see that. That's like I mean, like so when I when I hit a hundred thousand listens compared to when Joe Rogan hits uh, you know, a billion, I'm sure there's probably a little bit different reaction to that. I I that's probably an okay way of putting it. Yeah, I, I can see what you mean. Or, you know, some somewhere in that ballpark, I guess. I don't know. I'm not very good with words. If you guys haven't been able to pick up on that in the last 85 episodes. <laughs> I, I just looked that up. You said billion. 
Rogan, as of 2020, had 1.5 billion downloads on iTunes. As of three years ago. And that was that was on when he was on like a whole bunch of platforms. Now he's only on Spotify and he yeah. gets like seven million listens an episode on average, like on a normal episode. Oh my gosh, dude, that's just Sanity. That's ridiculous to you say seventy million? No, he had one point five billion in twenty twenty. Oh, oh, I thought you said seventy million listens an episode. I was gonna say, Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cra- crazy numbers. Yeah, dude, that's that's crazy. Um, one thing that I was going to ask you, because I know it's kind of a thing, but it's not like hugely talked about or practiced. Do you airbrush any paint, any paint onto your soft baits? I do not. Um, but I do, we, there's another technique that we do. That's kind of, I'll call it painting. Some people call it dusting. It's a few different things. Oh yeah, Um, yeah. Particular paints you can use to paint soft plastics. Um, one of them by a uh, company Lurworks. I get a lot of my my liquid pigments from them. Um, I think it's SB Lurcoat uh, mm-hmm. is a paint that you can use to paint soft plastics with. I don't do that. All the stuff I do is is in the bait basically. Um, mm-hmm. But there's different techniques. So on an aluminum mold, the open pore molds are two halves. They split open so you can take the bait apart uh, without yeah. damaging it, taking it out. But you can do a few things. You can either place uh, like colored plastisol directly on the mold, like do shad dots or stripes or um, like bars for perch, something like that. Put the mold together, heat it up, and then pour it. Then you can also do something that people will call like skin pouring or capsuling. So you'll pour, if, you, if anybody scrolls my Instagram, you'll see my lovely wife on there doing this. Pour a thin layer of, I'll, I'll do this in the garage and then bring them in and she'll paint them. Um, pour a thin layer of plastisol in the mold dump it right out so you just have a skin in there pretty thin skin and she'll take um she actually uses makeup like eyeshadow palettes and stuff Mm -hmm. which is pretty much just compressed mica powder and like a kid's just craft paintbrush or she'll use mica powder right out of the bags and brush the inside of the mold so she'll paint a pattern on that then we'll assemble that mold i'll put it on the hot plate and then pour the colors inside of it so that's another technique we do those take a while though we could easily have two hours into one bait. Damn. Yeah. So th- those are more for. I'd say those are more for fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, wh- wh- that's the time. Like, what do I like? If I charge, so the boxes I sell are fifty bucks. You're getting eight open pore swim baits, and then say four packages of, or the equivalent of what would be four packs of of plastics that you would buy in the store, all in one box. Well, I can make 16, I have two of each open pour mold, I can make 16 of them in about an hour or so, maybe 90 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, start to finish. That's getting the mold sock, getting the plastic cup, pouring them, letting them cool, doing all that stuff, gluing the eyes on, packaging them. Or I could skin pour that boss, you could spend easily 90 minutes painting it, and then I've got another half an hour, 45 minutes pouring it what do i charge for that one bait like that's just becomes like an impossible price to to put on it like it's fifty dollars worth of time but who's going to pay fifty dollars for one soft plastic i mean maybe some people will yeah yeah dude it's i don't know there's that trade-off of of what you value your time by and and what others value your your product at i guess because like like i said looking at it on the outside in Oh, you know, this this took them three minutes to do. Whereas they don't know that this is a technique that 
isn't you know slapping slapping uh plastic into a into a uh a mold and calling it good like there's other steps that go into it to to get this finished prod proj product not project product what somebody could do with that sb lure coat in 10 minutes of painting with an airbrush it could take somebody an hour of painting with a brush and mica powder to do that but the difference is that's inside the bait like it's it's inside the plastic it's not anywhere the paint's not going to wear off but at the end of the day it's also a soft plastic like a pickerel's going to bite the tail off it I mean, <laughs> yeah that's the that's the problem or the uh i guess that's the catch-22 with that um you can put all that time in it like i said me i'm i don't want to keep saying i'm a bad salesman for my stuff like when i fish not open pore swim baits like injection molds like the four inch slick swim which is like the kitech easy shiner or uh when i fish like paddle tails i throw mm-hmm. black or white if it's a nice day and it's clear i throw white if it's cloudy and murky i just throw black there's that's it i'm not, i'm not nuts on different colors it's more the action and the presentation i think than it is the color most of the time unless you're fishing a really finicky spot with very clear <laughs> water and something very particular most of the time it's the action and the right fish at the right time. Yeah, and and so you've talked about not being the best salesman for your own own brand, own company. So we'll kind of we'll we'll try to swing up on that here. What do you what do you offer as far as like packs go? Can guys order, you know, uh, five epic nuggets, or do you do certain packs, or how do you go about that, or how how would somebody go about ordering stuff, and how would you go about fulfilling their order on on what you can provide for them? So most of the time what I do, what I've been doing lately is, I guess you could call it drops. I'll make, I'll go to the garage, I'll make what I feel like making that night. If I want to do some crazy colors and get into the color shift stuff, if I want to make more traditional, like, shad, shiner kind of patterns, just like pearls and silvers, just general, like, generic fish kind of colors. Um, If I want to do something extreme, maybe some bright colors with some, I've got some neons that I've done not too long ago with like some a bright pink and a bright green. Um, so I'll make kind of what I'm feeling that night and make a bunch of them. Maybe I'll do two pours that night. So that'll get me um, a bunch of baits. I'll assemble them in boxes with a variety of injection baits. Usually it's just a good mix of paddle tails, worms, a couple of creatures, just kind of whatever I whatever I have at the moment or whatever I'm feeling at the moment. Um, and I'll post those on the website. So those are like the bait boxes I do. And that's what I've really been sticking to lately. Um, individual packs. It's, I can do them like worms. If you want to buy 32 worms from me, like that's three shots. I'm sorry, 24 worms. would be three shots. Um, like the amount of time I'd put into doing that. Then you're going to pay shipping. It's going to be like seven, eight bucks to ship them out. If I got to get whatever, I'm just saying six bucks a pack. So that's $24. It's going to cost another seven to ship it. So it's going to cost you 30 bucks to get three packs of worms. I'm happy to make them, but I feel like if I, what I do in the boxes offers a better variety and a better value for people. Um, So that's, that's what I've been doing lately. I've got, I'm looking at a tray sitting under my TV now. After I make them, they go on like cookie sheets, line them up so they sit straight as they cure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have one box going on the website soon. I actually sold out a bunch. I made. I was debating on going to the Northeast Swim Bait Expo this year. Um, it was a little like, eh, just not great timing for me to be able to get enough um, stock made to bring up there to make it worth my while to go to the show. 
Uh, but next next season, I'll be up there at the the swim bait show. I went to the show too and and hung out, which was great to to meet some people and take a look at what's available. But um, yeah, so the boxes are what I primarily focus on. If somebody really wants something specific, send me a DM and we can kind of kind of work something out. Otherwise, keep an eye on the website or my Instagram, and that's where uh, when I post what I have new stuff coming available. Hell yeah, man. Uh, I'm trying to think of one one good good final question off the top of my head. Uh, while I think, is there anything that you wanted to talk about or had had uh, had your thought or had a thought to talk about? Why sit here and, and rummage through uh, a shattered mind of ideas going around a hamster wheel spinning in my head? <laughs> I can give you a um, I can give you a long and short or a short version of. How to get started in soft plastics? Yes, kind of yes, yeah. Let's let's do that. that. That's actually really good. So yeah. So what can somebody? What's like the bare minimum or like the the budget friendly stuff that somebody can get if they want to get into shooting? You know, open pores or you know, uh, uh, like just the molds and stuff. What's like the beginner lot that would that somebody could look for and get started with? So there's two types of soft plastic. Um, soft plastics for bait making or two two types of ways to make them there's injection and there's open pour both of them you'll need plastisol comes in a jug looks like milk it's cloudy white heat it to 350 degrees in a microwave that's the conversion temperature so that's where it goes from being a liquid plastisol to uh it'll get clear as it gets Mm -hmm. hot and then when it cools it'll cool to that we'll say rubber worm consistency um, so you'll need some plastisol, or you can use old soft plastics. You can certainly remelt them, except for that Z-Man, um, elastic stuff, silicone. That's a little bit different material and is not uh, microwave-friendly. So the basics that you'll need are microwave, Pyrex cup, either some plastisol or some old baits to remelt, old butter knife to just stir the stuff and melt it consistently, if you have an open pour mold, especially a silicone one, you'd need a heat gun to get the mold a little bit warm. If you have an aluminum open pour mold, you'll need some sort of hot plate or a heat gun to really get that mold warm. The aluminum sucks the heat right out of the plastic quickly. Um, so you'd want to make sure, excuse me, that mold is hot when you're working with it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have an, an injection mold, like a do it uh, Senko mold, those you can find them used for like 25 bucks um and some sort of clamp to hold that together but really no matter what you're making you'll need microwave butter knife some sort of plastisol that'll get you started to get hot plastic and then depends on which type of mold you want you'll need a hot plate and an open pour mold and or a heat gun um or you'll need an injection mold along with an injector uh, which is that big syringe and no matter what you're doing you want respirator gloves glasses wear your ppe like i burn yeah. my hand pretty badly that stuff at 350 360 degrees it's second second degree burns instantly it's you wipe it off you're taking skin with you there's no oh that is, it's very uh, it's, it's extremely unforgiving if you've ever burnt been burnt with like fry later oil if you've ever worked in a restaurant it's it's worse than that because the oil does not hold onto the heat like it that plastisol is just a gel and will sit on you and continue to burn Oh, dude, that just, yeah. oh, that just yeah. it sounds, it is, it is brutal. I, I, I know yeah. because uh, I, I've known people that have burnt themselves doing that. And 
Oh my gosh, dude, that's just like the only, uh, the only like deterrent that I can think of that would I'd be like, not nah, scared is not the right word. I'd be super very cautious, which you should be in the first place. But I think I'd probably be like overly cautious, like working really slow. I'd I'd be pouring, and then all of a sudden my plastic would would cool off, and I'd just be gunk in there. So that's I burnt myself like knock on wood. I burnt myself once pretty bad on one hand, um, peeled up everything. I have some. I don't know if it's quite nerve damage, but as the like the top of my hand a little bit, like there's still a almost a dead spot where I don't have the same feeling as everywhere else. But I guess that takes a long time for that to grow back. Um, and that was doing something that I don't normally do. All my molds are p- placed on my hot plate. Um, we'll say vertically, like if you're like all the heads are pointing away from me and the tails are pointing towards yeah. me. I had a couple of other molds that weren't on the hot plate. And I said, hey, you know what? I got enough plastic left. Let me throw those on. I put one horizontal. And it was just a weird, the same motion I used to pour those. It was a different motion because I had to turn my hand a different way to pour. Like when you pour, typically you like start, I start at the head a lot and then work my way towards the tail. Mm -hmm. So I was moving the cup from like away from me, moving it towards me as I'm pouring. And this was move it left to right or right to left. And it just splashed over the cup on my hand. When that happens, it's 350 degrees. You're not just going to sit there. You're going to flinch. So I pulled Mm -hmm. my hand back to get it out of the way. And that spilt even more on my hand. Oh, my gosh, dude. No gloves. I mean, it's my own fault. I just pouring. I don't know. The gloves, it's the feel. I like like to be able to feel onto the cup. Listen. Don't do what I do. Listen, wear gloves, wear welding gloves, whatever, whatever you need to do. But yeah, I, I don't wish that on anybody. Plus, this all burns no fun. Yeah, dude, that that is that's freaking brutal. Like, oh, I just get queasy yeah. thinking yeah. thinking about that. So quick, basically, you get your plastic up 350 degrees, you get it liquid molten again, or you get it past that conversion temperature and add some color, pour it into your mold or pull it up into your syringe and inject it into that mold. and then. If it's uh, an injection mold, they cool off in a couple of minutes. Um, not too long. You can, I mean, if you injected a uh, four-cavity, five-inch stickware mold, I mean, by the time you take your gloves off and clear your injector and do all that, two, three minutes, you've got worms that you could fish. Um, and then an open pour, depending on what type of mold it is, if it's silicone or aluminum, aluminum draws the heat out a lot faster. Aluminum's great, good at conducting and moving heat. Um, that would cool off pretty quick. A silicone open pour mold will take a little bit longer because the heat, it um, like insulates a bit. So the heat stays in the plastic a little longer, but mm-hmm. an hour you'd be able to take that out and fish with it. You'd want to uh, keep it. When I take baits out of molds, I hang them so they keep their shape, but they're fishable right away. Damn, yeah. Oh my gosh! Like I'm just still having flashbacks of of somebody burning themselves with with molten yeah. plastic. And yeah. I I had dabbled dabbled is uh, probably putting it very nicely, but I I had a mold one time, and I I think I've talked about this before. So stop me if you heard this, but I had that uh, the glass measuring cup that plat pl- uh, Pyrex. Um, yeah, Pyrex. So I had that. Heated it up, had the sink. I was using stick baits to to melt down to make more stick baits for some reason. Yep. Who knows, yeah, who knows why? But anyway, Are you using Senkos by any chance? Yeah, I think so. Maybe, maybe they're yum dingers. You see how much salt is in them at the bottom of your cup? 
Yeah. Well, hold on. You'll you'll hear the, the end of this story. So I didn't actually get to see how much salt was in there. So melted it, stirred it up, and I was working out uh, in in our garage, and our garage has cement floors. And so I didn't want to set it on the table and burn the table. So I set it down on the cement. I know right where you're going. What'd you say? I said, I know right where you're going. Yeah. And it blew up. And I mean, dude, it was like shrapnel everywhere. I shit myself. I pulled my hand back so fast. I looked to make sure I didn't have any glass shards like up my arm into my chest or anything. And I was like, what the hell just happened? Like, oh my gosh. Like it was like an IED just went off right in front of me. And after that, uh, I, I boxed the mold up, and I actually just found it a couple days ago, or a couple of weeks ago, and I was at my parents' house. But I mean, I was probably like 14 when I did that, and my dad is like, "Oh, like you don't you don't want to pour any plastics, buddy?" And I'm like, "No, no, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm good." <laughs> so that those um, plastic all cups, um, plastic all cups, the Pyrex cups, Pyrex cups will explode really fast or it, something like that. Well, if they if you shock them like that, it will explode violently like yeah it did it did i can i can attest to that i'll i will i will sign off on that happening <laughs> i use a um just so they don't slip so my bench top is melamine it's um kind of like a whiteboard material yeah yeah I, know that, what you're talking about. I can clean that up really easy like just lacquer thinner or uh alcohol i can wipe it clean all the plastic mm-hmm. all all the pigments everything it wipes off like brand new every time that is pretty good it doesn't really it doesn't mm-hmm. transfer heat that well so it's not like on cold concrete or I'll put a, um, when it's really cold in the winter, I'll put like, you know, those crappy, like bag of rags, like red shop rags. I'll yep, put yeah, one of those yeah. on and put my cup on that. Yeah. It's probably, I probably should have read up yeah. before I started dabbling with Pyrex and hot and cold temperatures. Yeah. Yeah. That'll, that'll scare you a bit. Yeah. I mean. It was a good time. A very core memory of, of me trying to do stuff that I probably shouldn't have had to worry about doing, like like making my own baits because I could have just bought extras. Oh my, dude! I, I so I molded a Senko, and I used, I accidentally used um, like caulk, silicone caulk, like you would put around your bathtub or your toilet after you install a new one. Yep, and. When I say that it took about three weeks to harden completely, I'm not lying. Like it was still oh, yeah. liquid a week later. Like it was, it was not curing at all. <laughs> so, Were you making a mold or making the worms out of that? I was making a mold, so I molded the worm. Oh, all right. Yeah. I was gonna have an, I was gonna have an open pour mold with it, and then yeah, it took forever. And at that point in time, I had already lost interest because I was like very hyper focused back then. Still am, but. And then, yeah, and then when I finally did try to pour bait, uh, the Pyrex blew up. I shit myself, and I said, that's enough. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun hobby to get into, but it, it is dangerous. Like, I don't recommend anybody kids getting into it. Like, wear your mask, wear your PPE, that kind of stuff. But, it's it, like I said, it can be really rewarding. You can pick up some used stuff pretty cheap. Like, I am I don't use three of them at a time. I've got three microwaves. I've got two that I'll use if I'm really doing a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. I've got a vacuum chamber to pull all the air out of the plastic salt too, so you don't have to worry about bubbles, that sort of thing. I've got some different equipment now that I'm working with and I wasn't than I wasn't before to just improve the quality of the baits I make. That's that's super sick, man. Yeah. And going going off the equipment, um, we'll kinda we'll kinda close it down with, with more of like the baits you like to fish and how you like to fish swim baits and stuff. 
what are some of your go-to baits that you have or that you've had in the past, maybe cast it off, lost, sold, whatever it may be. What are like five or six baits that when you were going out to fish, you were going to fish these baits, try to catch fish with? Uh, years ago, my personal best was caught on a five-eighths jointed black jitterbug, and that was seven and a half pounds. I caught Holy it at shit. night. Yeah, um, I caught it at night on that too. And that fish, I say weighs seven and a half. I have pictures of it. It was like pictures on... I don't know how old you are. I'm not trying to date anybody, but like a disposable camera. Are you familiar with, do you know what that is? I'm, yeah, I, don't know yeah, so I, don't know, I don't know if you're on Facebook or anything, but I actually, I actually have a film camera that I, I just shot with. I'll send you some of these pictures. Oh my God. I saw that. I figured it was like a legitimate camera, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was like a legit uh, Canon film camera. Right, so yeah, these were like disposables you'd get at like a pharmacy. For yeah, 12. yeah, I know what you're talking about, like the uh, the green and yellow ones. Yeah, but we'd always throw one in a Ziploc bag and keep it handy. So I've got pictures like that were taken on a disposable camera. Um, but I had, that was weighed on like an eagle claw, like those little rectangle, like size of a deck of cards spring scale that was like rusted and just lived in the boat. So that fish could have been anywhere from five to 10 pounds, but it weighed seven and a half on that scale. So that's what I'm calling it. Um I think, judging by the pictures of it, I bet it was over eight, which is a good fish for the state. Um, so Jitterbug is one of my all-time favorites. But lately, um, I actually just got a bait from my buddy uh, Shank Baitco. I've got a big, it's got to be uh, the exact dimensions. I'd say about three ounces and maybe 12, 13-inch. Uh, it's a topwater-ish wake snake. Um, with a rattle tail in it so at the right speed you can either wake it or get it just subsurface a little bit i really like to fish baits that one will wake but then some that'll just get under that surface a little bit and you'll get like a little swell just to not quite break in the surface but just underneath I like that kind of action too or anything top water around this area so like wakes and stuff um but i've got throwbacks i've got a legal dope perch i've got a i've got a bunch of stuff um Lately, that shank baitco snake has been my been my go to. Still early in the season here, but I've been putting in some time with that. Hell yeah, man! Are you do you like wake bait fishing a lot? Is that something that you're super big into? I do. We don't have much deep water over here, so uh-huh. most of the stuff I like is that wake type fishing. But also, you get top like blow ups. Like, what's better than that? Yeah, and that's like that's like the stigma behind uh, New England is everybody likes wake baits like wake baits are the thing out there yeah yeah i, I mean look know. at the stuff he's i mean he's from around this area in massachusetts so those are fantastic but that's all wake stuff yeah like you got you got him you got linciati lfod makes a lot of wake bait yep. stuff yep. um well mdc is around that area but he makes glides and stuff but he's got rats he's probably got a wake too um Oh, I picked up the um, Munka and Toxic uh, collab crawler. Um, I just grabbed that. I've been throwing that a bit this season. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, dude, there's, I mean, there's a lot of builders up there, too. Like, a good amount, honestly. Like, in all honesty, there's probably, I can name like five or six off the top of my head, and I'm sure there's probably closer to ten that I'm unfamiliar with. Like, New England is, like, vastly rich in the swim bait world i feel like and i don't know if it's catching up if they were behind but i don't know where this all started it seems like california area was kind of where a lot of this came from yeah and it's picking up more and more here um which is which is cool and it's getting more people interested in throwing bigger baits i have a buddy who just picked up a box from me the other day 
And when I said like, I thought I was going to say rig this with a 10 up beast truck. And he'd be like, like, what are you even talking about? Like a, a three quarter ounce hook. Like mm-hmm. I throw eighth ounce jigs, not a hook that weighs more than three of the jigs I'm fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting, but like I said, I've got a bunch of buddies that make baits from. Oh, I picked up um, earlier this season Hashimoto. I've mentioned him a few times. He's got a new bait, the Tonto. Nice little three-piece um, perch pattern on there. Just that's that's the stuff I like fishing. Not, I guess maybe it's lesser known, still pretty known, but like if you go on Swimbait Universe, if you say it's Psycho Gill, everybody knows what that is. Like yeah, yeah. some stuff that's just on the edge of that too. Like right, maybe not everybody knows that person, but some cool stuff that's um and like I said, it's from friends too, which is which is pretty cool. Um Papa Red's got I've been throwing his wake mouse quite a bit lately. Um trying to think of what else. Doobie. Doobie Bates makes a fantastic bait. I have one of their older ones, the the first one the disciple that's their two-piece um wake but i also have their apollo the three-piece too and the micro fof fishing he makes a that's father of five fishing he makes some fantastic stuff yeah there's a whole bunch of makers out there that i've been fishing lately hell yeah man and it's always super cool when you catch a fish and post it on a bait that's not like super crazy well-known like on that brink of people knowing and then people yeah. not knowing and they're like, what, like, what bait is that? Like, I've never seen it. And you're like, oh, you know, that's, that's XYZ bait. And they're like, oh, like, I'm, I'm going to have to find one of those or get one of those. It's like, it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm driving business to a friend that, that people aren't aware of. Like, that, that's a really good feeling too. Yeah. I actually just got, um, I had a, uh, I think Kyle, uh, throwback. I couldn't think of his, uh, I had a wake walker <laughs> that I bought. Um, it was two years ago, and I kind of fished the paint off it last season. So I sent it to my buddy in Vermont, uh, Stoneman Lures, and Stone. I think it's Stoneman and Sun Lure Company. But he did a repaint for me, and one of the ponds I fish here is stocked with trout. And um, you ever hear of Sebago salmon? No, I don't think it's a type of Atlantic salmon. Like all the local spots when they stock them, there's. They stock trout, but they also stock these Sebago salmon. Um, so I had him do, or I asked him to do a um, Sebago salmon paint scheme on it. Yeah. I said, well, that'll be perfect for when I fish when I fish this area. So it's like an, it's an Atlantic salmon, basically. Um, but that was the pattern I had him do on a, a repaint for a wake walker, which was fantastic. Yeah, that is a super sweet color. I like the blue on the cheeks too, yeah. and like the subtle hints of pink too. Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit different. Yeah, for for everybody who doesn't hear, I just I just sent the picture over. Yeah, so. yeah, I probably should explain. It's that. It's on my it's on my Instagram too, if you want to see it. But <laughs> that kind of stuff, stuff that's you know, stuff that's different. I like fishing. I, I've got a big variety of baits. I've got um, some custom one off things, and I've got some stuff that you can. I've got a. Toxic, wake and crank. You can go get pick those up pretty regularly, which is pretty cool. Um, and I've got, like I said, some one-offs that um, you're not going to see anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, dude, it's fun finding, like, a new bait maker that, you know, yeah. like, is, is under the radar or, you know, just whatever it is and buying one of their baits and, like, holy shit, why are people not talking about this? Like, yeah. um, Cooper Baits makes a gill glide that he just actually released now, but I had, had a prototype of it. Oh, I mean, wow. you can 
you can chop that thing, you can fish it wide, you can fish it slow, you can fish it super fast, you can burn it. I mean, dude, it's a slick little bait, and I I had been waiting for him to release it, and he finally released it, and I think he sold a bunch of them, but I'm just like, oh my gosh, like people don't even know how crazy this bait is until until they get their hands on it. Uh, one thing I want to get into is glides a bit, maybe later this season or, or next season, but like I, I had mentioned before, I'll kind of explain it a little bit now quick. I've been fishing for quality over quantity, and that's kind of with a little caveat. I will go out and throw that chank bait coast snake until I get something or a decent fish on it. I don't mind going out every time I go out and fishing that, fishing the heck out of it. might throw something else a little bit, but 90% of my time is going to be spent focused on that bait. Or if I pick up a whatever it might be, new new bait companies, brand new whatever model. Like I'm going to put the time in with that and really learn that bait and learn its angles and how to fish it and the ins and outs of it and what I can do, what I can't do with it and try to get something decent on it. Not necessarily retire it, but just to put some work in and really learn that bait. And that takes more than one or two trips out. Like you, you got to spend some time with it to get that figured out. That's what I've been liking doing lately. So even if I'm not catching as much, I'm putting time in and really learning the baits that I do have. Yeah, right. And I mean, that's that's the best feeling is when you figure out a bait and you you know what it's doing. You don't even have to see it. You can feel it in your rod or or you know that, oh, a quarter of a reel turn is going to do this to that bait or one full reel turn is going to make it do a 360 and turn around or just, just whatever whatever that may be. How close you can put it to structure or a down tree without getting into trouble. Like, eh, I know that this, like, I know this bait, I'm not going to get hooked up. I can throw it a little bit closer to that bank or a little bit closer under that tree. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's something special. Like, you, you build a bond with a bait and you just become hyper aware of of that thing's movements like you can see it the whole time yep absolutely but i'm trying to think where where can people uh pick up your baits i we talked about what you offer but we didn't talk about where you offer it so if guys want to uh want to message you about baits colors or whatever else it may be how can they do that so if you're local to rhode island or Eastern Connecticut, Southern Massachusetts. Um, there's a bait shop in Gloucester, Rhode Island, Big Bear. Uh, they have a bunch of my uh, stick worms, some creatures, some paddle tails and stuff. Like general, just all around fishing stuff in there. Yeah. Nothing crazy. Um, so you can get stuff right off the shelf there. If you want, um, I have a website. Um, it's linked on my, if you're on my Instagram, it's linked in my um, my bio there. There's like a link tree and you can you can find it on there. The website address is is it's uh, fishdaddy four hundred one or fishdaddy four zero one dot bigcartel dot com. I think if you just go to fishdaddy four hundred one, that'll get you there too. Yeah. Um, and that's my website. I load stuff there uh, periodically. Like I said, it's kind of when I just make stuff. I try to. Um, I got wiped out recently. I sold all my stuff. Like I said, there was that swim bait expo. Um, I posted all the stuff I had online for sale around that time. That all sold, so I'm pretty wiped out right now. But I'll be I'll be making some stuff soon. So keep an eye on the website. Um, other than that, on social media, Instagram, shoot me a DM, and if I can if I can do something for you, I'm happy to do it. Um, customs take a little bit longer, but like I said, keep an eye on the website. Hell yeah, man! Um, Instagram, did you just shout out the Instagram? Yep, just uh, fishdaddy four zero one on instagram 
Hell yeah. You got a Facebook page or YouTube channel or anything? I yeah, I actually have Facebook. Um, same thing, same name, same thing on YouTube. I've got like three videos on YouTube. Um, one was a pretty cool technique on on uh, my one big video on YouTube was I took uh, a lot of the eyes I use on the larger swim baits are from Dead Meat Customs. I mean, they make the best eyes around. Yeah. And I took the eyes and poured them. I don't know if you fish soft plastics. How many times do the eyes fall off them? Oh, yeah, yeah, all the time, dude. Just pop right off. So I poured clear inside the mold and set the eyes inside the mold and then cleared around them and then poured the bait. So the eyes are actually poured inside the bait. So that's something I can do if somebody wants it. It's a lot more time and effort to put in to do that. But I could pour eyes inside the bait, and the eyes will never fall off. Unless you cut the head off the bait, they're not going anywhere. Damn, dude. that That's a slick idea. I'm surprised that's not like the industry standard yet, honestly. Well, because of the time to do it, it's not yeah. like you're pouring hot plastic, setting the eyes, like dealing with it while it's still molten, pushing the eyes into it, then pouring plastic around them so they're set in there in that chunk of plastic, and reassembling the mold, heating it, and pouring the rest of the bait. Some guys will glue them on and then clear dip the bait. Mm -hmm. But if you look at on my website or any of the pictures, you see the bait has quite a bit of texture to it. As soon as you clear dip it, that's all gone. You've just smoothed the whole bait over and removed all of that detail that the maker and the designer of the mold tried to put into that. So clear dipping, some guys do it. I particularly don't like the look of the bait after you clear dip it. I think you, if you had a really detailed hard bait, lots of scales on it, and you just dunked it in a big, heavy, thick clear coat, you'd lose all that detail, all that texture. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Sure. So if anybody has any questions on soft plastics, either on what I do, how to get into soft plastics, you want to make something on your own, feel free to send me a DM. I'm happy to share information and help anybody out in this hobby. It's a fun thing to get into. Wear your safety equipment and PPE and all that stuff, but want to make your own worms you want to make your own swim baits and stuff I, I can hopefully point you in the right direction or help minimize that learning curve for you like some other people did for me to uh steer you in a good direction um and i also have a, a little site um it's just a teespring store it's the baitmakersguild.com which is kind of a goofy name me and some buddies came up with but we've got some shirts on there um like t-shirts hoodies support your local bait maker um there's a couple of them that say sell baits not drugs like in the dare um or if you remember when you like in elementary school the the dare. the dare yeah yeah so they say sell baits not drugs and i've got uh buy baits not drugs and um like i said support your local bait maker t-shirts and then there's a few on there for guys that actually make wood baits or plastisol baits there's one with a picture of a microwave and it's got a, a pyrex cup in it and it says master baiter on it and then the there's a wood one too that's got like a knife and what looks like a crankbait kind of blank that says masturbator on it too, which are pretty funny. So <laughs> show, some or something. show some uh show some support for your local bait makers for all these guys that kinda do what we do and want to share the hobby with people. Hell yeah, man. And uh like I said, I will put all uh all of his stuff in the show notes. You guys can go follow him and check out all this stuff, check out his shirts and check to see if he has any baits on the site and um, yeah, so you guys will be hearing this the 15th, so maybe you'll have some baits loaded up, so if you guys are wanting to go check out, uh, check out some baits, snag some baits, go check those out. Uh, like I said, all of his social medias will be in the show notes, 
Um, if you guys don't already, make sure you guys follow the podcast, Scales and Tails underscore podcast on Instagram. It's just Scales and Tails podcast on Facebook. I'm like 90% sure off the top of my head. Um, when you guys are hearing this, the uh, the May sticker will be out, the Dogfish Rodeo sticker. Super cool design. If I could, I would put that on a carpet decal on my boat, but I don't have a boat, so I will not be doing that, unfortunately. Um, make sure you guys check out the Patreon. Those guys are going to get uh, early access to the magazine as well as automatically getting entered into the monthly sticker giveaway. Uh, it's like 5 bucks or 10 bucks, however however you're feeling. Uh, Instagram, Patreon, stickers. Uh, keep your eye out for the magazines because they'll probably be getting sent to the printers right around the time you guys are listening to this. Uh, oh, make sure, if you guys haven't already, make sure you give the podcast uh, a review on your listening platform. Also, if you have a little bit of time and you're feeling really generous, you could even write a review. That's very helpful. Um, I think that's everything. Oh, uh, if you guys are looking for a new swim bait stick before the season, if it's, you guys are anywhere, uh, north like I am, you know, you're just, you're just getting into season, uh, make sure you check out Leviathan Rod Scales 20 at checkout for 20% off your, uh, your rod order, as long as it's not the daily travel rod. I, I, we don't get a discount on that one, unfortunately, but all the other rods, boom, 20% off with Scales 20. But, other than that, I want to thank Arthur, aka Fish Daddy, is uh, everybody, everybody, Fish Daddy four hundred one, as everybody knows. Yeah, we had a he, we were talking before the show, and he's like, yeah, everybody on Facebook just calls me Daddy because nobody really like nobody nobody's exactly sure what my name is when he's on his account. So I thought that was super funny. So I want to thank him for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and uh, like I said, make sure you guys follow, give him, drop him a follow if you don't already. So thank you guys, and uh, I'll talk to you guys next time.